The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 310, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, August 26, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number, 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming and entertainment our wrestling and mma editions air every wednesday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific and our gaming and entertainment editions air every thursday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific i am super pumped for this week's show got a lot of great announcements to share with you guys a lot of awesome stuff on deck uh first and foremost Social media-wise, our My Take Radio fan page has officially been merged with Rageworks. So, with that, there is now one page that allows us to give you guys all the content. No more double posting, no more crazy stuff all over your timeline. One page, all our stuff, all our content, all our shows, you name it, that's where it's going to be. Facebook.com forward slash official Rageworks. Our Facebook group is still going strong. New members are joining practically every other day. I believe we're up to 60 listeners, uh, listeners, fans, readers, however you guys want to describe yourselves, interacting with each other on Facebook. Definitely want to try and grow that number as always. If you guys want to interact with other listeners, readers, the rest of the staff, feel free to join the Facebook group for RageWorks. The link for that is is pinned right on the top of our Facebook fan page. So definitely check that out if you want to interact with us and want to escape the confines of Facebook. And, of course, we try to post every piece of content there as well, obviously because of Facebook's algorithm, which at times can be a lot more trouble than it's worth. In any case, definitely happy to have that finalized. Now all the fans are in one place. Uh, With that, of course, there's a big shot in the arm fan-wise for the RageWorks fan page. We were already approaching 500 fans on RageWorks with the 3,000 fans from My Take Radio. We are now approaching 4,000 fans total. 
with that, of course, I am grateful to each and every one of you guys that reads our stuff, shares our content, downloads our shows, and participates as best as humanly possible. We are definitely grateful and indebted to you guys for our success. Now, with that, a couple of other things. Of course, you guys know that we have our brand new show with Jay and the Keith, our uh, regular season sportscast, which... Uh, has been really, really on fire as of late, right up there with Black is the New Black, which actually uh, broadcasted a new episode today. So be on the lookout for both of those hitting Rageworks later on this week. But I, I do want to say that I know that, that Jay and the Keith have put together a little group for regular season sports casts. Again, that's that's great for those guys. Just if you want to interact with them directly, make sure to seek that out. I will put a link to that in our group just because i mean some of you guys may only want to talk sports it happens i'm not you know i have no issues with that on the contrary you know whatever whatever works i mean those guys are trying to grow their show and we're going to do our best to accommodate that and with that i will go into the next thing i wanted to address Uh, for the live show right now we are testing a brand new chat application we tested one last week which many of you were not a fan of Uh, primarily for the 15-minute timeout, which a lot of you guys were upset about, obviously, with the show show in progress and you not being glued to the chat. Many of you were annoyed with the chat automatically logging you out. I do agree. Huge pain in the ass. Uh, I did reach out to the vendor regarding that, but since we were testing it out, I figured this would be a good week to test out a brand-new chat, which is currently in progress. I see... Our very own Slick is in there. I see Val is in there. Uh, Always good to see um, a lot of our regulars. As always, if you want to interact, be a part of the show, head over to mtrlive.com or rageworks.net slash live. Either one of those will take you to our live page. You'll get the full video feed, which is running on all cylinders. I got to admit, XSplit, which I've used for our streams, our gaming streams, has been really, really kick-ass with regards to our video offerings for the show, really pumped about that. Um, but mtrlive.com, rageworks.net slash live, either one of those will take you to our live page. You'll get the live video feed. You'll get the high-quality audio feed from Mixler. And, of course, you'll get the show chat as well. And, of course, interact in the chat. I get to interact with you guys on air at the same time. If you don't want to call in, everybody wins. Now, If you want to enjoy the live show and you don't have access to a computer, there are a couple of different things you can do. You can download the Mixler app for iOS or Android, punch in My Take Radio, and you can stream the show that way. The other way is to use our call-in number, not hit option one, and you'll be able to listen to to the show through your phone, either obviously via Bluetooth speakers or however you choose to use your mobile device, and you can consume the show that way now lots of content hitting rageworks.net this week including a review of the games vanguard personal gaming environment now many of you guys may have seen this before it is a what's essentially a suitcase with a 19 inch led hd monitor inside which will allow you to take any of your systems uh, xbox 360 xbox one ps3 ps4 uh, with you anywhere you go, and it will have uh, give you access to game anywhere, backyard. As long as there's a pl- two plugs to plug in your console and your monitor, you can game in the airport, 
game in Starbucks, cafeteria, wherever you choose. Uh, very cool device. Uh, I have I have some issues with it, which I'll address in the review, but that review is going live this week. But besides that, which I'm really pumped for, and our Plantronics Backbeat review, which is also going live. You guys have already seen the unboxing on our YouTube channel. We got something really, really, really fucking cool to give away. Uh, the item I'm about to show you guys is worth about $125. And if you are an action figure collector, a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, that you're going to want to check this out. See this? Our friends over at Entertainment Earth were kind enough to give me this Marvel Legends Guardians of the Galaxy box set. Check it out. Really cool. Like I said, retails for about 100 bucks, $125, and I am giving it away. 100%. Not for me, not keeping it. I am giving it away, and our contest for that is going live this week. Now, a couple of things. For any members of our staff, before you ask, no, you can't enter the contest for this. Absolutely not. But we're also not going to go with our usual easy peasy trivia question hashtag bullshit that we do for some of our other contests. I got to make you guys work for this. Um, so without without publishing the article yet, the, the, the post for the contest yet, I will give you guys uh, a little inside track. You're going to have multiple chances to enter, meaning if you're on if you follow us on Twitter, you can enter. But if you also follow us on Facebook, you can enter. If you follow us on Instagram, you can enter. So, you got three social media outlets, that's three chances to win. Rules, full contest, everything else will go live this weekend. And the best part is, I will announce the winner as always on one of our live shows. I hope all of you guys participate. This is an awesome contest. Our, our friends at Entertainment Earth just really um, believing in what we're doing. After the Funko contest we did with the Terminator figure, they really wanted to step it up and give us something really cool. So with that, we got to make you guys work a little bit. But again, you guys want to win the Guardians of the Galaxy limited edition box set. We're going to give it to you. Rules aren't going to be super crazy, but you're, you're going to have to do a little work. That's for damn sure. But anyway, I wanted to announce that. I wanted to show you guys how awesome that is and the fact that one of you will get to win that sooner rather than later. And that's just one of the few contests that we're putting out over the next couple of weeks. This one I got to do first, obviously time sensitive, number one. Number two, it's, it's, it's a pretty big prize, so... Again, that contest should be live this weekend. Full details, RageWorks.net. But make sure you're following us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, or at Rage underscore Works. And you're following us, of course, on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Official RageWorks. And on Instagram, RageWorks underscore Rich. If you're following those, then you're ahead of the game thus far. 
The fourth option to enter, of course, will be via the site, and we will include that as well. So those are your three social media options, one web option, and multiple chances multiple chances to enter. Right there, you got four entries for one person, which is fine. If you're doing that, you got four entries in the bank, and one of you will win. Simple as that. Nothing crazy. Be on the lookout. Keep it locked to RageWorks.net for the announcement this weekend. I'm telling you guys, this is the start of something awesome. And wait till you see the other stuff we got to give away. Because there's a lot of stuff on deck. So I wanted to announce that. And um, I know a lot of you guys have reached out about some of our other contests. And either you didn't get a chance to participate or the contests were too short. I'm going to give you guys ample time this time. It's not going to be one week. We're probably going to shoot for at, at minimum two weeks. Maybe we will do it through the entire month of September with the winner being announced at the end of the month, which leads me to our broadcast schedule for September. Uh, next week, I will not be doing any shows uh, just because there's a lot of stuff I want to take care of and also Labor Day weekend. So got to try and get that stuff done. But in my absence... Of course, Black is the New Black will be stepping up with brand new episodes. Uh, the crew from the regular season sportscast will not only be doing their show, but they will be doing a special uh, fantasy draft edition of the show as well. So if you're into fantasy football, you guys are going to want to check this out. So next week, there will be no shows, but we will be back on air uh, September 9th and 10th. So mark that on your calendars, September 9th and 10th. We will be back live, but next week our other shows will be running the ball, so to speak. So be on the lookout for that, but we'll be putting out plenty of content, plenty of posts, and of course our very, very cool Guardians of the Galaxy Entertainment Earth contest. Now, with that said, all that housekeeping out of the way, what is on deck for tonight? Obviously, we're going to be talking about SummerSlam. We're going to be talking about NXT. We are going to definitely be talking about Raw and, of course, all the wrestling news of the week. On the MMA side of things, we're going to be talking about Ultimate Fight Night. We are also going to get into the MMA news of the week. And, of course, I will take your calls, 347-324-3541, 347-324-3541. All right, so with that, Let's get this ball rolling, jump into this week's MMA. We are shooting to keep the show at 90 minutes. So if you guys intend on calling in and I got to cut you off, if I got to cut you off, don't take it the wrong way. We're, we're trying to keep it uh, tight and, and, and chock full of content. So again, you want to interact, you want to be part of the show and call in, keep that in mind. Otherwise, feel free to interact via the chat, mtrlive.com. With that Let's switch gears and jump into this week's MMA, shall we? Before I get the ball rolling with the MMA news of the week, I just noticed uh, there's a little banner from Blog Talk Radio that says, and I quote, we are seeing problems with one of our recording servers, which may interrupt some shows. Our engineering and product teams are investigating. We apologize and we'll send updates as we have them. With that said, 
everything appears to be working fine on our end. Knock on wood. So if you want to call in, you're welcome to do so. But be aware, shit could get fucked up because that appears to be the name of the game tonight. But nonetheless, we're going to try and give you guys the best stuff as the best stuff possible. So let's get to it. Anyway, let's jump into UFC Fight Night 74, which with all the wrestling going on, I had to actually watch this in like two parts to fully grasp how many great fights were on this card. So, as always, not going to do a a fight-by-fight recap, but I am going to acknowledge some of the fights I did enjoy, what I liked about them, and, of course, some of my other thoughts. Well, first fight I want to talk about is Frankie Perez and Sam Stout, which was um, a lot better than I thought, and I was really, really shocked that Frankie Perez put out Sam Stout, not to take anything away from Frankie Perez, he's got a good record, 9-2, and two, but, you know, Sam Stout is, is a wily, crafty veteran, 20-11. and 11. Um, Perez started the fight aggressive. He had a two-inch two height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage, and Perez came out aggressive, ended up actually catching Sam Stout with a swift counter right, which floored him, and after that, it was a pretty much, it was a pretty academic flurry to, to put Sam Stout out cold. Um, awesome victory, TKO via punches, 54 seconds in the first round. A very, very solid, solid ending, and a very, very violent ending for that fight. Now, the other fight I did want to touch a, a, a little bit of uh, my, you know, my gut on is the fact that this, this particular fight that I'm going to address next was, in my gut, going to be a tremendous fight. And... Do, did it deliver? Did it not deliver? Depends on who you ask. But I wanted to talk about Josh Berkman and Patrick Cote. Now, many of you know Patrick Cote has pretty much been a staple in the UFC in some capacity or, or another for years. Josh Berkman came in, a lot of fanfare, left the UFC, came back. And I, I expected this fight to be really, really action-packed. And it, it was It was solid. It was a solid, solid opening first round, opening second round. And then we got into the third round. And the crazy thing was, you know, they um, as soon as they got up close to each other, it was rock'em, sock'em robots from start to finish. And it was crazy, but Patrick Cote was the winner in that exchange. Berkman ended up uh, hitting him with a sidekick to the body and... um. Just as that was happening, Cote hit a right hand that floored Josh Berkman. Of course, it was academic right after that. And Josh Berkman lost to Patrick Cote via TKO a minute and 26 seconds into round number three. Now, like I said, I went into this fight expecting it to be a a, a one-sided affair, I'll be honest. Uh, number one, because either Patrick Cote wins extremely impressively or loses just as impressively. Josh Berkman is a guy that's been fighting for a, a long time and he, they went in there and they really wanted to get to give the fans a show and damn did they fucking deliver. And it's crazy because this is Patrick Cote's first UFC finish since 2008. Not only that, but it's also the first time that in Josh Berkman's career that he has been stopped with strikes. So a lot of firsts in that fight, but I really thought that it would not go 
the full three rounds. So I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed the fight. My hat's off to both fighters. Both guys have been in the game a long time, and they definitely impressed the fuck out of me. That's for damn sure. Now, the other fight I did want to address, and this was a fight that people people looked at it with, you know, they they were... They were looking at it as a fight that was going to put one of these fighters on the fast track to stardom, and that was Valerie Letourneau taking on uh, Marina Moroz. Now, the reason is because a lot of people have been watching Valerie Letourneau, and they feel that she has the potential to be a force in the strawweight division. And while the fight itself was pretty solid from start to finish with Letourneau winning via unanimous decision, I did feel that the strawweight division right now in its infancy is pretty much open season. And the reason I say this is because almost every woman in the division is incredibly well-rounded, incredibly dangerous, and capable of delivering a stellar performance. But there's also a high probability that fights won't be finished, only because there's, I'm seeing a lot, you know, I'm, I'm, it's easier to expect submission victories than knockout victories, not because I want to take anything away from the ladies at strawweight, but just because I'm not seeing a lot of knockout power in that division. Now, again, it's something that I'm sure will change over time, but right now I kind of feel that the playing field is pretty level with the exception of the top three in the division. Everything else is pretty level in terms of just... Um, aggression, striking, and overall ability. Obviously, some fighters have a veteran's edge, but in terms of just performing, it, it's anyone's game. It's not like there's, it's not like in, in Ronda's division where it's Ronda and then everyone else. It, it, there's there's a, pretty, a pretty wide variety of fighters that can chain a few wins together and get themselves a title opportunity only because... They're all well-rounded, and the fights can go any way. It's not, it's not super decisive. I mean, Joanna Jodesic, everybody feels that, that she is a wrecking machine, and she is, but I also feel that it's because nobody has figured her out yet, and that, of course, can change. In Ronda's case, there is a probability that she, she can lose. I mean, her, her fight that's coming up that we're going to announce, her opponent, there is a chance that she could win. There is a chance. It's not as usual or it's like, oh, Ronda's just going to run through this chick like, like a laxative. Not necessarily the case this time around. And I'll get into that later on in the segment. But the main event is the fight that everyone's been talking about. And it's only because of the injury that came out of this fight. It was Max Holloway, Charles Oliveira. Of course, Max, Max Holloway came coming in ranked uh, number five, I believe. And I think Charles Oliveira was either seven or eight. Uh, Max Holloway, they, these guys, they came out really aggressive. Uh, Oliveira had a five-inch reach advantage going in. Um, Holloway was working the jab a little bit, uh, a couple of body blows. And then what ended up happening was Holloway landed an uppercut. And when he reached for, uh, when Oliveira reached in for the takedown to pull guard, he, um, Oliveira gets up holding his left shoulder. Now Holloway, of course, is confused. He lands a body punch. Oliveira waves it off. And they stopped the fight. Uh, really, really crazy that the fight ended the way it did. But when I tell you guys what went down, it, you guys are going to get tripped out because it was crazy. Anyway, Max Holloway wins via TKO due to shoulder injury, a uh, minute and 39 in the first round. Nonetheless, um, definitely a, a solid, two solid fighters that were 
that were the fight was ended abruptly, um, you know, because of of how you know obviously injuries work, TKO, shoulder injury, but it really wasn't, and I'll get into that. Um, overall, solid card, thoroughly impressed. I mean, I had to rewatch it. I, I started watching it, then I stopped, then I went back and watched it, it in completion. And I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a card that on paper may have not got a lot of fanfare, but turns out was surprisingly enjoyable. With that said, let's uh, shift gears and jump into the wrestling news of the week. Now, of course, the first thing I did want to talk about are the fight bonuses, which of course, uh, $50,000 were handed out. Patrick Cote, Josh Berkman got fight of the night. Frankie Perez got a performance bonus, and Felipe Arantes got a $50,000 performance bonus as well. Um, Great performances from all those guys. They definitely deserve the money. Wanted to put that out there. Now, I want to open up with a bit of news that goes outside of the octagon a bit. And the reason I want to talk about this is because this story, when I addressed it a couple of weeks back, uh, many of you were were very vocal about what transpired how things should have been handled, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, I want to address the incident that happened with Brittany Palmer and her husband, um, Aaron Zalewski, a couple of, I, what is it, a couple of months back now, I want to say, a couple of weeks. I don't, even, I don't even remember the timeline specifically, but I know we, I talked about it, and a lot of you guys were very, very vocal in the chat with regards to, um, obviously, what her husband did, how, what nearly happened, et cetera, et cetera. So TMZ reported that Aaron Zalewski won't be prosecuted for attempted murder, even though he choked Brittany Palmer over an argument due to her having a phone call with a casting agent who called her babe. He ended up losing it, nearly choking her to death, and, um, yeah, he, he got arrested. Okay, Now, I tell you guys this, and you're going to be like, yeah, that guy should go to jail. That's fucking crazy. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to tell you guys what is going to happen to Mr. Zalewski. And man, oh, man, are you not going to believe this shit? The Los Angeles city attorney will not be charging him with attempted murder. Uh, They held an informal meeting with Zalewski and Brittany Palmer. And if he admits... And shows remorse, he won't be prosecuted. He could be forced to take anger management classes in exchange for dropping the case. If it happens again before the statute of limitations runs out, then charges could be filed. But the crazy thing is, the two of them are still together. I kid you guys not. Both of them still together. Still together. The guy nearly choked her to death, and he's not going to jail. And above all, aside from not going to jail, he is just chilling. Oh, I'm going to take some anger management, and uh, yeah, we'll be all good. What the hell is that? Val says that's because he didn't war machiner. Val. I know you personally. I consider you a, a good friend. But um, I, I rationally, 100% rational, 
If you put your hands on your significant other and you were arrested, does it not make sense that you would be tried as a criminal for choking someone nearly to death? Of course, Slick says money talks. And and I agree. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But I just I just want to talk about common sense, guys, common sense. If I put my hands on you and I strangle you and you go to the cops and the cops bring me in, there are criminal charges there. Oh, you know, if you admit that if you show remorse and you say you're sorry. But here's the thing. Slick says common sense is overruled by cash, not even being funny. It's true. But here's the thing. If he admits what he did and shows remorse, listen to this. If he admits what he did and shows remorse, I don't know. Maybe the fucking handprints on the lady's throat would show what he did. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing something. But that is in insane it is insane and you know i've 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 known people that have been in abusive relationships i've i've heard terrible terrible stories and the fact is shit like this never ends well never ends well it doesn't it doesn't end well and that is what alarms me you know, but, but it, no, no Val. It, I understand the fact that you said that he didn't war machine or it's true because that shit was beyond insane. But the fact is you, you were, you choked her over a phone conversation. Like you put your hands on, on your wife. Like that's bananas to me. And that's what trips me out. Just because you got to show remorse and you admit what you did and you won't be prosecuted. Like, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, hey, babe, I'm so sorry that I nearly choked the shit out of you and almost killed you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I overheard a conversation where they called you babe and I was so insecure as your husband, as the guy that lays down next to you and lays the pipe, that I felt it was the right thing to do to choke the shit out of you. No. I, it, just, it just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't. It doesn't sit right with me at all. I just, and, and again, I don't know her personally. I don't know their approach to the situation. But crimes like this... Crimes like this, you put your hands on somebody very, 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 very rarely does the shit become a one and done scenario. I'm sorry. Oh, it was once very, I could, it it is probably a minuscule amount of people where that has happened once and that was it. Once. I doubt it. I really, really doubt it. 
Like, I thought after that shit happened, they went their separate ways. He moved someplace else, probably living in a week-to-week hotel room or whatever. She did what she did, working UFC cards and painting and whatever other cool stuff she does. And that was it. No, 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 no. It's like, oh, it's all good. I want you to say you're sorry. And it all will be forgiven. Man, oh, man. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are going to be like, Rich, you know, maybe you're you're taking it a little too extreme. Maybe you're, you know, you're, it's affected you or you're, you've experienced it firsthand. No. I just don't believe that choking the shit out of your wife for some shit on a cell phone conversation that was totally innocent is the right fucking thing to do. It isn't. It's called, yo, did that guy just call you, babe? Oh, blah, blah, blah. It was, you know, just just joking around, term of endearment. Yeah, well, that guy knows I'll slap the shit out of him, right? That, that, okay. But you, you choke, you choke, almost choked your wife to death. To death. Like, attempted murder. Like, yeah. Not cool. But, hey, some people, they just look at that shit differently. That's, that's just how it is. Me, personally, not fucking cool. Sorry, but it's not. And for anybody that says, yeah, but you know, she accepted it, you know. And Val says, yeah, maybe it's a normal thing with them. Like, maybe he beats her on the reg. That, that's, that, that could be, a, 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 there's a big possibility that that is the case. Maybe, maybe not. But again, and Val, like I said before, this shit never ends well. Never. It either ends with with just something, you know, something drastic happening that forces you to to leave the situation or, you know, or it's going to be just some shit where the guy's just going to have to go to jail forever. And that's going to be it. Like, like, I'm sorry. There's no it's it's not gray. (laughs) That's not some gray shit. I'm sorry. It's not. Period. That's that's just me. Anyway, let's move on. We got some fight announcements. Oh, you know what? Before we get into some fight announcements, I do want to talk about a situation which I didn't address during last week's show because I was reading it. There was a lot of social media shit about it. I didn't think it was the real deal, but it turns out it was it was pretty serious. And that involves one of my favorite light heavyweights, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Now, if you guys remember, it wasn't that long ago that Anthony Rumble Johnson was being investigated due to... Um, pleading no contest to domestic violence and two other misdemeanor charges from 2010. Uh, he was also suspended last year by the UFC during an, an investigation um, due to allegations that he had threatened and abused the mother of his child. Uh, eventually, of course, the, the woman withdrew her claim and the case was dismissed. Because of that, obviously, the UFC is monitoring him very closely. So, last week... Somebody shared on Facebook a status update that Anthony Rumble Johnson posted about an incident with a woman in the gym, which was pretty much it it was he threw this lady's yoga mat across the gym and then he ranted about it on social media, poking fun at the lady, blah, blah, blah. It was it was insane. It was insane. Any case, uh, the UFC, of course, said we're going to investigate the matter, blah, 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 blah. So. Of course, the UFC investigated it. They put out a statement. They said, following a thorough investigation by a third-party law firm, uh, law firm, excuse me, the UFC is extremely disappointed with Anthony Johnson's recent actions. 
as the organization does not tolerate behavior of this nature from any athletes under contract with the UFC. Johnson personally apologized to the woman. He he verbally offered, um, he verbally offended at the Florida gym last week for his insensitive comments that he made on social media. The woman accepted Johnson's apology and indicated a desire to put this unfortunate matter behind them. In order for these situations to not happen in the future, Johnson has agreed to participate in counseling and the UFC will support him through this process. Johnson has also agreed to make a donation to a Florida-based women's charity. Now, he then went on to put an apology on Facebook and he said, I'm man enough to admit that I'm wrong and yesterday I was absolutely wrong. I should have gotten I shouldn't have gotten that upset from the start, but I did. I'm human. I said some pretty nasty things about a female from my gym while full emotions were high. So I do want to apologize to her for being as rude as I was and not taking a break from our argument. Sorry to everyone else too for having to witness me getting upset about an argument in the gym. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and it does seem like it does seem like I'm an angel and make it seem like I'm an angel because I am not. And I will admit when I'm wrong. Other than that, I hope everybody has an awesome day. Now, here's the thing. What Anthony and, and I'm gonna pose this to you guys in the chat. If you're in the gym or in any environment, you have a and you have a, a rough situation and you post it on social media. Whatever it is, I mean, he what he posted was pretty, was pretty, you know, it was pretty strong. Don't get me wrong, it was pretty strong shit. But he didn't put his hands on her. I mean, he did throw a yoga mat, which, whatever. But the thing that gets me is that as an athlete, and especially one like Anthony Rumble Johnson, who's already been under the proverbial UFC microscope for for previous personal infractions, whether they were infractions that were legitimate or infractions that were manufactured. The fact, the fact is he, he's been on their radar for shit that isn't good. Why would you put yourself out there on social media? I'm serious. Like if you flung the chick's yoga mat and you went home and you talked to, you know, your significant other or you call one of your friends on the phone like, yo, you won't believe this shit. Then, you know, again, I'm not condoning what he did, but in that respect, there was no necessity for him to post what he posted on social media, knowing that it was not only an admission of guilt, but made him look like a complete lunatic. Because everybody looked at it and they're like, dude, really? Like, what the fuck is your problem? Again, I'm not condoning it, but Slick is a great example. Slick and I have been friends for many years. And he's received the occasional phone call from me where I am seething about something. Seething. Like genuine, I'm going to show up at your house with a, with a hammer and break every one of your fingers every 10 minutes. Break a finger every 10 minutes till I break all of them. Yeah. We, 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 we've all had those days and we call our, our friends and whatever and we're like, yo, you know, shit is crazy. And um, that's that's pretty much how we go. It's not, you know, it, it just it doesn't warrant the 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 huge social media backlash because of what he did. I mean, you know, in my opinion. Hold on one second. 
In my opinion, I don't feel that going on social media like that is is the right course of action. It's not. You could have just had your issue, realized you fucked up, apologized on your own, and moved on. Nope. You go, you write a paragraph, you make fun of the way the lady looks, all this other shit, yo, keep your yoga mat out of my fucking weight area, etc., etc., etc. People look at you like you're insane. Which again, we've all been there. We've all we've all been angry at a point where, you know, we say dumb shit. But that doesn't mean that uh, I I just I just feel that there was a, a, a you know, an investigation, all this shit for what? Because at the end of the day, you came out looking like a lunatic. People were upset with you. And now the organization again has to clean up for you guys. I just, I I just don't understand where we're at as, as just, you know, not only as fans, but as athletes and just as people, I mean, you can go and put on social media whatever shit you have on your mind, but sometimes you have to approach it a little bit differently, especially if you're in the public eye. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie to myself. You know, I've 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 been really really angry sometimes, and I'll start typing away on Facebook, getting ready to air my grievances. And what ends up happening is I stop and I delete it because I go, this is going to just make me look like a complete lunatic. Not only that, but I am somewhat in the public eye, being the key word, somewhat. And I say that because, you know, I'm out there. I am. So you don't want shit like that to bite you in the ass. Now, Slick says, I'm not calling him stupid, but a UFC fighter is a person the same as these idiots that post videos on Facebook or World Star, basically incriminating themselves. I agree 110%. If the dude said what he said and he did it privately, then I'm sure the matter would not have escalated to where it did. 100%. But homeboy wants to go, complain about the lady, yoga mat, saying that her stomach looks like tire tracks. Just just craziness. Just the, the ramblings of someone who was having a really shitty day. And now look at you. The, the, the organization got involved. You had to apologize. You got to seek counseling. You got to put money out there all because you couldn't just either let the shit rock or apologize and handle the shit privately. Nope. Social media. Holy shit. You know, it's like there's no need for that. None whatsoever. And I put this out there to any athlete, professional wrestler, mixed martial artist, whatever. If you're on social media, tread lightly. The capture screen functionality is real. And just because you write it and delete it doesn't mean someone didn't catch it. Happens all the time. Happens with tweets, Facebook updates. There's always somebody watching, waiting to to send that somewhere and get their 15 minutes of fame at your expense. Don't fucking do it. Don't get caught out there. I'm serious. Simple as that. As for Anthony Johnson, hopefully he's learned. He's learned from this situation and he can he can move he can move on from it. I'm serious. Cuz at this point it's it doesn't make any sense. Slick says too many people use social media as their shrink. Unlike the real shrink, there is no confidentiality. I'll give you that, dude, but 
the thing that gets me is the fact that if you saw what he wrote, Val, I think you may have seen it on Facebook. If you didn't, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you see that and and you have to question why you would write that. I'm serious. You have to question why you would write what you wrote on social media because it's 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 insane. It's it's begging for a problem. In any case, another another small blemish in the uh, the the life choices of Anthony Rumble Johnson. Hopefully, he moves on from this and continues to separate people from their conscious from their consciousness in the octagon. Anyway, let's get into some fight news because there are quite a few other things that don't involve personal fuck ups that I do want to address. First and foremost, um, fight announcements: Uriah Hall stepping in for. Um, Rowan Carnero, who was forced off the card facing the dream catcher, Gegard Mousasi at UFC Fight Night 75. This is a huge opportunity for Uriah Hall. Uh, the, green ca- the dream catcher, Gegard Mousasi, is uh, an, incredible, an incredible fighter, super talented. And if he beats him decisively, I'm sure people are going to look at this for give it, getting either a title opportunity or, or some sort of a of a higher profile fight. Cause this is huge, especially on short notice. Um, <laughs> Beretta in the chat writes, I was trying to lift weights and this girl started doing yoga on my bench, man. I wasn't having it. <laughs> that was the gist of it. Yeah, pretty much. That really was the gist of it. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the other big fight announcement. And the reason I'm talking about this now is because Val addressed it earlier. Is that originally, we thought we were going to get Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, three. Well, the UFC decided to shelve the cupcake and decided to give the opportunity to Holly Holm. It is now going to be Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey meeting at UFC 195 January 2nd, MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Now, of course, everybody thinks that Holly Holm probably has the best chance of beating Ronda Rousey due to her very, very solid striking. I think that, number one, this is a fight that, while it is a fight that we'd love to see, I think it's too soon. Um, Val said that, you know, he agreed with Joe Rogan. I agree with Joe as well. It's true. It's not a fight that should happen now, but it's also a fight that at this stage in the game, what else do we have? That's the problem with this division, that... It's Ronda and everyone else. If you give the uh, rematch to Kat Zingano, people are going to complain that she whooped Kat Zingano's ass. Who has Kat Zingano beaten to get the opportunity? If you do Misha Tate, Dana White pretty much said it. He goes, yeah, we've seen it before. Eh, we, we, went, we went in another direction. Of course, it sucks, but let's be realistic. How many of you guys thought for one second that Misha Tate had any chance whatsoever in a fight with Ronda Rousey. I'm being serious. Who thought that that was even remotely possible? Because I I feel that Misha Tate was being put out there for slaughter once again, just because MMA math dictated that she was next. You know? I just I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the money fights. They're trying to get people to tune in and watch Ronda fight. And yes, 
you know, Holly Holm has great striking, tremendous striking. Will she beat Ronda Rousey? I I want to say that she has a, a better puncher's chance than other fighters. You know, I, I do got to say she has just as much of a puncher's chance as anyone else. But her, her striking is a little bit better than everyone else. That's all I'm saying. Now, with that, I'll, I'll go in this direction. Okay, you've beat Holly Holm. Ronda Rousey beats her. What's next? Are, are, at this point, you need to make the cyborg fight happen. What other fight is going to make anyone tune in? Now, Lucha Lee says, I think that once Ronda fights Cyborg, win or lose, she's going to take an early retirement and do movies or the WWE. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I'll be honest, Ronda Rousey probably has a, a contract waiting for her the minute she retires. 100%. The minute she retires, she has a contract waiting for her. I, I feel it in my bones. And the reason I say that is because... She loves wrestling. She likes being involved. She likes the theatricality. And she, she, she works well in that environment. Do I think she has the tools to be successful? I don't know. Because you got to go through, you got to go through, you know, NXT, whatever the case may be. You got to train, you got to take bumps, etc. But Ronda Rousey has that it factor. She has that, that intangible that makes people wanna wanna tune in, wanna check her out. I mean, obviously being easy on the eyes is part of that, but um still, people are going to tune in. Simple as that. Now, the way I see it, if she beats Holly home, you gotta set up the cyborg fight. And once that cyborg fight is done, she's probably gonna retire. Even though Val says that Rhonda's only gonna retire after she beats Anderson's streak. They have to make her fight like men's champions maybe three times a year. <laughs> I'm serious. That's that's the stage of the game we are in. Now, for me personally, do I want to see Ronda and Holly home fight? Sure. Do I want to see it happen in January so quickly? No. Would I have been fine with the Misha Tate fight? Yeah, I would have been fine with it because, again, they hate each other. It makes for good TV. The buildup would have been fine, and that would have been that. Easy peasy. One and done. Move on. But, alas, that is not what we're going to get. So, lock it in. January 2nd, UFC 195. Pl the plan right now is that allegedly, and this is a big, big allegedly, Misha Tate is going to fight Cyborg, and if Cyborg beats Misha Tate, then she will fight Ronda Rousey, and they will face off at UFC 200. That's what it is. Val, I thought that she might have been injured, but she just got blindsided with the announcement. You know? They, they she, she got, um, you know, she, uh, Misha Tate was like, oh, I, I was blindsided by the announcement. I was trading to fight Ronda, blah, 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 and this is what happened. I have a feeling that I wouldn't be shocked that they go with Cyborg versus Tate, winner fights Rousey, and that's it. Because not because I wouldn't I would not want to be in anybody's shoes right now 
going up against Ronda Rousey without an effective game plan. Holly Holm poses an interesting threat because of her striking. But Misha Tate has lost twice. Kadzingano has lost as well. Like everyone she's fought, she's beaten decisively. So, with that said, I'll take the Holly Holm fight because it's fresh. But if the rumors are true that Misha Tate is going to fight Cyborg, you need to make that Cyborg fight happen sooner rather than later. Now, Val says Holly Holm fights for points, though. I don't disagree, but I also feel that she she hasn't she hasn't grown comfortable in the octagon. Every time she fights, it feels apprehensive. It feels very, very apprehensive. You don't exactly. She's not. She does. She just doesn't seem to be in the game the way she should. Now I don't know if it's because she needs more fights in the cage to to adjust. But in any event. I just I just don't think that this fight happening this quickly is going to benefit Holly Holm in any capacity unless she just comes out there and doesn't fight for points and just comes out there swinging. Cuz that's pretty much it. If she comes out there swinging, she has a she has probably the bigger the biggest puncher's chance than anyone else that Ronda has faced at this at this point in her career. Outside of Cyborg, of course, who she hasn't fought yet. And may, may, and maybe Gina Carano, which for those of you that think that a Gina Carano Ronda Rousey fight is going to happen, I I can I can almost say with certainty that that shit is not happening. Period. Anyway, let's go into some of the other fight news. Uh, UFC Fight Night seventy nine is going down in South Korea, which is insane on a multitude of levels. Nonetheless. Uh, one fight that I'm really pumped to see, which was announced, is Benson Henderson taking on Tiago Alves. Now, Tiago Alves, of course, a guy who's always exciting to watch going in there against the always impressive Benson Henderson. Because even, even in the times, the instances when he's lost, Benson Henderson has always impressed the shit out of me in there. It's not happening. You know, he's never, he's never had a dull fight where I've said, you know, this, this, this fight was a garbage fight. Benson Henderson, Thiago Alves, tr- solid fight for that card. Also, Mirko Krokop is fighting. He's taking on Anthony Hamilton. Uh, Stun Gun Kim is taking on Jorge Masvidal. And Yoshihiro Akiyama is taking on Alberto Mina. In any case, November 28th is the date, and it's taking it's going down in South Korea. So mark that down on your calendars if you're looking forward to seeing Benson Henderson fight. Now, another another returning fighter who I want to talk about outside of Benson Henderson, who I've really been looking forward to seeing in the octagon is Nate Diaz. Now you're probably asking yourself, Rich, why, why, why do you like watching the Diaz brothers fight? It's not only that I like watching the Diaz brothers fight. I like the energy they bring to promoting a fight. Middle fingers, F bombs, you name it. When you see the Diaz brothers are on a card, you know, you got to watch it. Either because they're gonna, you're praying they get their ass kicked, or you're praying that they administer a, a, a Stockton ass whooping. And this December, you guys will get your wish as Nate Diaz will be facing the very, very talented, especially over the last couple of fights, Michael Johnson from the Ultimate Fighter. They're squaring off UFC on Fox 17 going down 
uh, December 19th in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I like I like what Beretta said in the chat. A DS fight is like glad is like gladiator. Are you not entertained? Absolutely. I could co-sign that 110% because that's definitely one of those things where you're um you know, you watch a fight and you say to yourself, I really would like to see that guy get punched in the mouth. And then as the fight progresses, you go, damn, these fucking guys are are crazy. Middle fingers, just, you know, shit talking from bell to bell. That's what you can expect in any Diaz fight. And man, I'm, I'm hype. I'm hyped because Michael Johnson has been on a tear as of late. And I think Nate Diaz is going to give him a very, very, uh, a very entertaining and memorable fight. Now, Lucha Lee says that he'd like to see Cowboy and, um, Cowboy and Diaz too, which is Donald Cerrone, which I, you know, I, I'd love to see that as well. I think that would be a great fight. But with that said, the, uh, UFC on Fox 17 card that, uh, Nate Diaz is fighting on Cowboy is fighting for the belt. <laughs> so with that said, UFC on Fox 17, like I said, Nate Diaz, Michael Johnson, also on that card, CB Dalloway, Nate Marquardt, Tamden McCrory, Josh Salmon, and uh, title fight, Rafael Dos Anjos and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. But the fight that really got my attention that was just announced earlier this week that is going to be on this card is Junior Dos Santos and Alistair Overeem. Holy shit. Three reasons why I say holy shit for this fight. First of all, Junior Dos Santos can kill Alistair Overeem very, very quickly. And I like Overeem, but Junior Dos Santos, his striking on a whole other level. Seriously. That's number one. Number two, I like Alistair Overeem and I like watching him fight. So I know that it's going to definitely look cool on paper. Number three, any way that fight goes, depending on who hits, who strikes first, someone is going to sleep. Seriously, there, there's no, there's no decision here. Someone's taking a fucking nap. <laughs> Seriously. Someone's taking a nap. I like Junior Dos Santos. He is a he is a monster when he gets in there. And I like Alistair Overeem. I mean, going back to K1, Pride, I've always liked Overeem. I've I've always felt he was a cool looking dude. But um Junior Dos Santos is is he's a he's a monster. He is a fucking monster. Um communicate from Jimbo Slice. Junior Dos Santos is gonna mop him. You know, you know what the worst part is? You're probably fucking right. But as much as as much as that is going to be the case, I like Overeem and I want to see this fight. You know it's going to be violent. <laughs> uh, Jimbo Slice says Overeem is getting KO'd. It, it's going to be brutal. It is going to be brutal. In any case, that card, UFC Fight Night 17 on Fox, free TV, folks. You get a title fight with Donald Cerrone, who is one of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet, which is going to be hype. It's going to it's going to be a hype fight from start to finish. On top of that, you get a little Stockton action with Nate Diaz, Michael Johnson, tremendous, and JDS, Alistair Overeem. We might as well make the tombstone now for Overeem because, like I said, if JDS connects first, he's separating him from his consciousness. That's all I got to say. 
<sighs> the other fight I got to put out there, and I know I know this fight is going to probably get a lot of buzz in the coming weeks, is that Frankie Edgar will be facing Chad Mendez during the Ultimate Fighter 22 finale, which is going down December 11th in Las Vegas. Now, everybody's saying, yeah, you know, this fight, it's a good fight on paper. It's going to be exciting, whatever. Here's, here's how I see this fight. If Frankie Edgar wins this fight, he's challenging the winner of Aldo and McGregor. If that shit doesn't happen, it's complete bullshit. I'm serious. But Frank, if Frankie Edgar decisively dispatches Chad Mendez, he has to fight the winner of Aldo versus McGregor. There's no other way to go. I'm serious. That's, excuse me, that's the fight that makes not only the most sense, but is just the natural order of things. Frankie Edgar's been on the, on the cusp of, of, of challenging for a belt every time that title fights are brought up. And for one reason or another, he doesn't get the opportunity. But shit, if he dispatches Chad Mendez, he needs to get that fight. Period. Because that's a fight that I'll definitely tune in for. I think Frankie Edgar, if he fights Jose Aldo, he's, he's going to give him a problem. And I know if he fights Conor McGregor, he is definitely going to give him a problem. Either way, again, another great fight. Free TV, Frankie Edgar, Chad Mendez, Ultimate Fighter, 22 finale, December 11th. Mark that on your calendars. And uh, last but not least, uh, Beretta in the chat mentioned a joke about, Ron- about Ronda Rousey and Floyd Mayweather. As many of you know, Ronda and Floyd have been exchanging jabs uh, via social media and the press for the last couple of weeks. From Floyd Mayweather saying he makes more money to not knowing who Ronda Rousey is to Ronda Rousey clowning Floyd Mayweather with her SP win. Well, TMZ caught up with Ronda Rousey recently and asked about what she asked her or asked Ronda what she thought about the comments that Floyd Mayweather made about him making more money than her. And she said, and I quote, that she did some math and figured out that it was the opposite. She said, Floyd, you said you make three hundred million a night. She said. Uh, she said. Um, let me rephrase that because I'm reading it wrong. Floyd Mayweather said, and I quote: "You make three hundred million a night. Then you can give me a call." And I actually did the math, and given the numbers of my last fight, I'm actually the highest paid UFC fighter, and I'm a woman. I think I actually make two to three times more than Floyd Mayweather does per second. So when he learns to read and write, he can text me. Yeah, I'm just more efficient. This was what Ronda Rousey said. Um, Here's the thing. Floyd Mayweather is going to talk shit. That's what Floyd Mayweather does. Floyd Mayweather makes a shit ton of money. A metric fuck ton, as a matter of fact. And I'm actually going to pose this to my, uh, my boxing colleague, Jimbo Slice, who I know is listening. Floyd Mayweather said he makes 300 million a night and Ronda Rousey says that she can she actually makes 2 to 3 times more than he does per second just that she's being more efficient. I just want Jimbo Slice to confirm to me and he can relay this via communique text message. Is Floyd Mayweather the highest earning boxer currently fighting? Let me know cuz I'm curious. The only reason I ask is because 
to make $300 million a night is insane. And for Ronda to say that she makes two to three times more than he does per second makes raises an interesting question about how much money Ronda Rousey really makes. Now, the amount of money she makes has been the subject of conversation in, in many articles, in many publications. We already know that she is the highest paid female fighter. That we know. But for her to say that she is the highest paid UFC fighter is crazy. So I want to know, Jimbo Slice, let me know, is Floyd Mayweather the highest paid boxer? Oh, the answer is yes. Now, for Ronda Rousey to say that she makes two to three times more than he does per second, just out of curiosity, what do you think Ronda Rousey is making then per fight? Because I'm sorry. Ronda Rousey is not making $300 million. Not fucking possible. She may be the highest paid UFC fighter. She may be the highest paid female fighter. But you are not fucking making $300 million. Jimbo Slice actually said Floyd is the highest paid athlete ever. So. With that said, Val puts whatever John Jones was making plus endorsements. Val, guys in the chat, can you all agree with me that Ronda Rousey is not making anywhere close, close, not even making that specific figure, but close to $300 million? It is fucking impossible. Impossible. It's It's insane. That's all I'm saying. It is insane that she's saying that she makes two to three times more than he does per second. I like the dig that, you know, when he learns how to read and write, he can text me. But efficiency is one thing. Dollars and cents are another. So it's, it's just it's just weird to me. <laughs> Not including sponsors or side money. Uh, Beretta, so you're saying that Ronda makes $6,764 per second versus Floyd's $166,000? I'm just, I'm just curious. Val says that Floyd is not making $300 million. Uh, you, here's the thing. I want to say... That it's possible. And the reason I say this is because of the cut of pay-per-view revenue that is at stake. Floyd gets a cut of that. That's why That's why the probability of him being the highest paid fighter, you know, it's, it's crazy. Beretta says Ronda Rousey got $230,000 last fight. 34 seconds long, $6,764 per second. So, again, just um, craziness. 100% craziness. Now, uh, I see Jimbo Slices on the line. Slick, don't bother to jump in. I got this. Jimbo Slice. You baited me to call. You baited me to call with this. Well, given your, 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 your just knowledge of boxing, 
Floyd Mayweather, you said, is the highest paid boxer, sports athlete of all time. Last yep. last yep. fight, last fight, how much did he make? I'm trying to remember on the Pacquiao fight. Yep. I know at the week leading up to the fight, he had cleared in his pocket $150 million before he even got to the arena. And as the time progressed leading up to the fight, I believe there was another, a little bit over another $150 million added to that. So basically for that entire fight, the endorsements, this, that, the other, after it was all said and done, he was around the three, $318 or $19 million that he took home. I think they handed him, I'm pretty sure they handed him, uh, I, I forgot, I, 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 a big chunk of that was just like a catch before he even, like I said, the, the week leading up to the event itself. He's not only the highest paid boxer of all time, he's the highest paid athlete of all time. UFC is not, you know, you know me, man. I, uh, I love both sports, grew up with boxing, obviously coming from a boxing family, but, and I, I don't, I hate when the whole comparison, argument, debate starts, you know, what's better. Two completely different sports, but the numbers do not lie. Boxing pay-per-views blow UFC pay-per-views out of the water, monetary-wise. They don't even come close to the purses. Right. Now, with that said, Ronda Rousey, according to what uh, BC just said in the in the chat room, got $230,000 last fight. So, say with endorsements and everything else... You know, she got maybe one point two million. I want to say if she gets a cut of pay per view, but that's, one that's, that's not even a fraction of what they, he got paid. They, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, even if you want, let's he say was she, making, he was making what she made for the night, literally in fucking seconds. That's you beat me to it. That's what I'm saying. Even if she made five million between endorsements, Reebok money, fight bonus, whatever, five million. There is a big fucking difference between five million. Big, big difference. And you know what though? She's a she's she, she's a fighter. You know what I'm saying? She definitely can have an ego. She's a little pit bull. She's not going to sit there and get trumped and clowned by this clown. You know what I'm saying? So she's going to say something back. Unfortunately, what she came back with is completely fucking fabricated. Now, according to uh, something that somebody shared in the chat from Bleacher Report, they said is that. Uh, on May 2nd, before the mega fight happened, both men were going to make a ton of money. Pacquiao and Mayweather will split the purse 60-40 in, Mayweather's, fa- in fa- Mayweather's favor. Reports have circulated that the fighters would earn $150 million and $100 million, but those figures might be optimistic unless pay-per-view buys go crazy. The fighters are more likely to earn $120 to $80 million respectively. Now, based on that, based on that, that was in Bleacher Report, but... Aside from that, even if even if we're going with those numbers, it's still hundred and fifty million fucking dollars. Hundreds. Look, not only is she not on his level financially, she's not even in the ballpark of Pacquiao. There you go. That's And he took the lesser of the cut. Yep, that's what I'm saying. That's why I wanted you to call in for that, because you know, boxing, not my strength. You know, you know what the deal is. But the fact is uh, the beef between them, whatever we've, we've talked about this. She's, you know, BC says in the chat that she's in Canelo territory. Do you agree with that? Uh, 
I'll I, I tell you the truth. I really don't know what kind of numbers he's clocking. I do know this. If he keeps on gaining popularity, if they are in the same range, he's going to he's gonna uh, do the warp speed Star Wars style right past there. Yep, and that's that's. A, I'm glad you said that as well because, yes, Ronda's going to make a shit ton of money. But as much money as she makes, she you know, the UFC hasn't reached a point where fighters are making ten million, twenty million dollars that that are acknowledged publicly. Like George St. Pierre and Brock Lesnar, I think Brock Lesnar said that he cleared like six million, close to ten at one point in his career between endorsements and everything else. And this is Brock Lesnar. And and again, Brock Lesnar left making five, ten million dollars a year, and he's making five million dollars a year now, guaranteed working once a night, maybe twice, twice a month. Just just to put that shit out there. I'm actually surprised that she said that for everyone to see because I mean you could just look it up on Google, I'm sure. The numbers are not even close. But then again, you know what? At the end of the day, <clears throat> this is all entertainment. Right. Rhonda is definitely friendly on friendly terms with the WWE and yep. wrestling and wrestlers and yada yada yada. So who knows what's really going on behind the scenes as far as a quote unquote work is going, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely. On top of the fact that we know that she's she's probably outside of GSP who has his own deal, the most marketable athlete that they fucking got. <laughs> Period. Yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't <laughs> matter what UFC fighter is fighting and what pay yep. and what salary the commanding, it's uh, it, it's like a welfare check next to uh, some corporate lawyer. You know what I'm saying? There's just no comparison at all when it comes to boxing. You will see as far as the money purses go. Yep, and the and the reason is because boxing, the money in boxing, is just on another level. The money in boxing is just the the amount of the the, the money that I've that I've seen just from you know reports that are put out for some of these payouts. I go, holy shit. It's just it's just mind blowing. Like I mean, the UFC. And it's, yeah. also, it's also one of the few sports that someone could potentially make for one freaking fight up to three hundred plus million dollars. Just think about that concept. Yep. Well, the crazy thing was the Mike story. Tyson, Mike Tyson in his career won and lost over a hundred million in the, in the span of his career, and that was back then. Yep. And the other thing was what you had told me, and and what I had read about was that. Uh, you know, the thing with Bernard Hopkins where he pretty much bet on himself. That's how he made his initial fortune. He, uh, yep. When Gold, this is, you know, was unheard of at the time. He took uh, GoldenPalace.com, painted it on his back. The money that they paid him up front to do that, he took and he bet the house in Vegas, and he won. And that's how he made his initial fortune. Up until that point, he was broke as a joke. They, he wasn't, you know, people, true hardcore boxing fans knew who he was, but the world really didn't know who he was. But think about that. The guy bet on himself. And made his millions, and then grew from there. Yep. When the fuck does yeah, anybody I else? Paid do him, I think they paid him. I think they paid him a million or two million bucks. I forget what it was such a long time ago. And like I said, he took that entire payment and he placed the bet on himself in Vegas, and he won. Well, the way the way I see it is, Ronda Rousey will probably clear out. Will probably leave the UFC as the highest paid fighter. It's just crazy that she went public. Like, yo, I'm the highest paid fighter. On the on on the, on the entire roster, and I mean, whatever she's she she brings eyes to the sport. 
But I know that some of those other fighters that are out there fucking, you know, top of the food chain are like, yo, really? Like, what What am I fighting for? And yep. then if she's out there saying that she's the highest paid fighter, period. <laughs> I'm a fan of her. I love her. I'll date her. You know this. Yep. <laughs> Floyd, I can't stand him, period. I don't know him as a person. I've never been in the same room with him yet. But as far as his fighting ability goes, yeah, he's 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 a good fighter, but he's not a good champion because he picks and chooses things. You know, he's one of these um, opportunist fighters. You know what I'm saying? No, I understand. And uh, how he how he enabled himself to get to this point in his career where he commands that kind of money purse for one fight, and we all know how it's going to roll. You know how the whole entire scenario is going to run. He's going to go in there. He's going to play around for a few rounds. Learns how the guy's fighting, shoulder rolls, bores to death, rockets to sleep, another fucking wake to night. Yep, it's just it's just it's just a trip to me, you know, because like to now that now that you kind of broke down the money, and you know, for Ron, I, like I said, Ronda's little dig about him knowing how to read, whatever. I, this is gonna be the, the the new the new hype machine. Ronda clowning him, him clowning Ronda until he just puts a picture of you know a bunch of money on on a tiger one day. That's that's how that's gonna I, go. I think her saying that was just her swinging back at him verbally without yep. her really thinking about, you know what I'm saying? Exactly what that actually was. Oh yeah, exactly. Because you know what it was when she put that out there in TMZ. You know they published it. I said to myself, any fighter that reads that is gonna be calling Dana White like, "Yo, I'm a champion in this organization, and she makes more than me, and she got less fights." You know Dana White's gonna be like, "Yeah," because she brings in more fucking eyeballs. Click. <laughs> That's how that's going to go. Pretty much. And I feel no. bad. You but know? She, you know, it's another thing, though. But it's the same scenario with her. Not that I'm comparing her to him at all because, you know, apples and oranges are two different things. But like you were saying before, who, who's the next fight after the, after this fight? That's it. What else? Who else is she going to fight? And it's the same shit over and over and over with her. Yep. You know, not to say that she shouldn't change what she's doing to entertain us. If I'm in the freaking cage or boxing ring, I'm doing what I need to do to win, period. I don't care about whose feelings, who's bored, who's happy, who's sad. It don't matter to yep. me. I'm getting paid and I'm getting out of there, period. But at the end of the day, from an entertainment standpoint, it kind of baffles me that people will still pay a pay-per-view when they pretty much know what the freaking outcome is going to be. That's because it. Because it's the same shit with her. She's just, she's, just, she's just, you know, it's one of those situations where she took the one move and she really perfected it. And uh, it's just the same outcome over. It's, it's like fucking Groundhog Day watching the fights. That's pretty much it. And like I said before you called in, if she fights Holly Holm and she beats her and Misha Tate allegedly fights Cyborg, then the only fight she's got left is the Cyborg fight. After that, it's it's pretty much recycled fights unless somebody comes out of the woodwork that's just a monster, which I don't see happening. Not yet. Probably not. Probably not. So I think uh, what she'll end up inevitably doing is most likely retiring with a perfect record and then finding her way down to, uh, you know, the WWE because she is an athlete, that's for sure. Yep. And I don't think she'll have a problem taking bumps. <laughs> no, I don't. For I don't damn think sure. That, that's for damn sure. But um, with that, I, uh, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the assist. And um, make okay. sure to follow Jimbo underscore Slice 13 on Instagram. Yes? Sure. All right, brother. Thanks for glad. All right, Rich. Take care, man. Peace. There you go. We got the wisdom from Jimbo Slice because I had to throw it to somebody who knows about fucking boxing because I sure as fuck don't. And I got to keep it real. You know, my boxing, my boxing goes towards 
watching Muhammad Ali when I was a kid and Mike Tyson, and I know, you know, Triple G, I know Canelo, Miguel Cotto, those guys, but not not my strength. So props to Jimbo Slice for the solid. Follow him on Instagram. I'll throw it out there. Uh, he's been covering some events with me, helping me on the photo side. So definitely check him out. Boxing, hip-hop, sneakers, give him a follow. Anyway, with that, we are going to close the door on Mixed Martial Arts. And man, oh man, we got a lot of wrestling to talk about. So probably for the last time, Booker T, take us away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, so here's the thing. I'm going to go in order. Normally, I jump in, talk about Raw, and call it a day. But the thing is, we, we got to talk about NXT. We have to talk about NXT. So let's open it with that. Of course, this past Saturday, NXT TakeOver from Brooklyn, uh, Barclay Center, tremendous tremendous night of wrestling and before i i break down and give my thoughts on the matches in general i gotta say as a wrestling fan especially one that grew up in the 80s 90s seeing the amount of passion come through the television from an event makes me happy to be a wrestling fan i'm being honest and I'll, and I'll tell you why. We've watched Raw, SmackDown, countless pay-per-views. And yes, there are moments where you feel energized. You feel proud to be a fan. You feel connected. You feel like you're part of something bigger. But NXT this past Saturday, you felt the energy from the start of the card to the end of the card. There was no moment where you were watching matches that you said to yourself, this is not awesome. It, there wasn't. Even, even if you wanted to talk about Baron Corbin and Samoa Joe, there was still an energy there, and I'll tell you why. As a fan, as someone who's followed Samoa Joe's career, it was awesome to see him perform in, in, on a stage like this. And it's inevitable that he'll be on Raw and on a pay-per-view at, at some point. But to see that, unfold in front of a WWE audience was tremendous. Not only that, but we talk about women's wrestling on this show. We talk about the Bellas and how shitty they are and what how women's wrestling has de-evolved. It, it, the fact is, the match between Sasha Banks and Bayley was probably top five matches I've seen in 2015. Easy, easy top five. Three reasons. Amazing story. Tremendous wrestling. And above all, an appreciation from the viewing public. I had people reach out to me on social media that don't give a shit about women's wrestling and said, yo, I feel like a complete fucking softy because I was invested in that match from bell to bell. I was rooting for... 
Bailey or rooting for Sasha Banks from bell to bell. And that's the craziness of wrestling today. The craziness, yes, the 80s, the 80s when it came to professional wrestling was what I like to call the cartoon era. Over-the-top characters, bright colors, mayhem, craziness. Wrestling in the 90s, as much as people want to recapture that, that is something that you can put in a bottle and you can drink from, courtesy of the network and YouTube. That is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Mae Young give birth to a hand or Stone Cold Steve Austin attack Vince McMahon in the hospital room with a bedpan or, you know, the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club or Trish Stratus on her knees barking like a dog in lingerie or Triple H having sex with a dead body in a casket. That is some that is stuff, ladies and gentlemen, that we will never see. Not in the current landscape of professional wrestling. And while, yes, I will miss those moments in terms of true, pure wrestling from bell to bell. We are in an awesome fucking time, period, period. You know, big boss man dragging the big show's father's casket through the cemetery attached to his squad car as the big show hung on for dear life. That will never, ever, ever happen again. The Punjabi prison match between Al Snow and the great Kali will never happen again. And with that, I want to open the door and jump into NXT, which was, without a doubt, probably one of the best cards I've seen in quite some time. So, first match on the card was Jushin Thunder Liger, Tyler Breeze, and um, I gotta say, Jushin Thunder Liger is a guy who I grew up watching from, you know, old cartoons that they used to do about him to... WCW, his matches with Ultimo Dragon, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, his appearances in Ring of Honor, his appearances around the world. Jushin Thunder Liger is, I believe, 53 years old. And for anybody that thought they were getting some instant classic, I hate to tell you that wasn't going to happen. But the match succeeded in a very interesting way. And the way it succeeded was, A, it got Tyler Breeze to work with an established superstar and show the public, by and large, that Tyler Breeze is ready for the next level. Number one. Number two, Jushin Thunder Liger went in there and got the crowd hype. It, he was the guy that got longtime wrestling fans really energized. As soon as that music hit, that Power Ranger-style music, and he came out with his shiny-ass cape, you knew what time it was. Tyler Breeze channeling his inner Zoolander uh, had a really cool entrance. I laughed my ass off when I saw it. And you knew that that match, it wasn't going to be pretty, no pun intended. It wasn't going to be magical, but it was going to set the tone for the rest of the night. And that, my friends, it did. Now, obviously, Liger with the Liger bomb, which he barely pulled off, it wasn't, again, this wasn't what you'd expect as an opener. It was an opener that was just going to get the crowd energized. And it did that. It did that in spades. Followed 
by Blake and Murphy. Props to those guys for their Iron Man-inspired ring gear, by the way. Taking on the Vaude Villains, who, when the Vaude Villains burst on the scene, I thought that their entrance was unique. Their gimmick really uh, looked really impressive because, again, you know, the work going in, the black and white, all the stuff. It was cool, it was unique, and it really was an, an homage to old school. Everything about that tag match was well executed. The involvement of Blue Pants, Leva Bates, uh, taking on Alexa Bliss, that them winning the tag team championships, it was, uh, it was a great storybook ending for a team that I think when they get the call to the upper, you know, to the upper card, to the main, to the main roster, will definitely do well in the tag team division. Now, not to take anything away from Blake and Murphy, I just felt that they, they really brought nothing to the table. They just were uh, a, a duo that, while they do get the job done in the ring, were just a team that they decided to put the belt on. It's not like the Vaude Villains or Big Cass and Enzo or even the Hype Bros, as much as I hate Mojo Rawley. So I can understand why they did what they did, but the Vaude Villains, I like, you know, like I said, I like, I like the approach. I like the uniqueness of their gimmick. I know some people are not fans. Like I said, I like that old school, you know, black and white. They did a good job with it, those guys, and um, they deserved it. They deserved the opportunity. Uh, Slick says, Team Breeze up with Bo Dallas. You know what it is? Tyler Breeze is such a unique character because as much as people like to compare him to Shawn Michaels, because it's very easy to do, I do think that Tyler Breeze is in a, is in a very unique situation because he wrestles well. He has a unique look. Even though he has a quasi Rick the Model Martell gimmick, the fact remains that he is um, entertaining. And I think that if he were to get called up, you want to pair him. I would honestly put Tyler Breeze with Dolph Ziggler before I paired him with Bo Dallas. Of course, this would, this would necessitate a Dolph Ziggler heel turn but I would definitely go in that direction because I just feel that they got those two probably have would have great chemistry both in in backstage interactions but also in the ring. So that's where I would go. But I do think that Tyler Breeze is ready for that next level. As for the tag team champions, Blake and Murphy don't need a call up to the main roster. I think that they can work in NXT a little longer, maybe establish themselves a bit more. But um, the Vaude Villains winning the belt definitely was a step in the right direction. We got our debut of Apollo Crews. Of course, that is Uha Nation for those of you that are independent wrestling fans. He took on Ty Dillinger, a.k.a. the Perfect Ten. Holy shit, if there is not a guy in NXT that I can't stand outside of Mojo Rawley, it is fucking Ty Dillinger. What an annoying son of a bitch. Holy shit. Like, he came out, he had the number 10 cut into his hair, and I'm like, yo, you are the fucking worst. He's like an NXT Barry Horowitz. He even patted himself on the back. I'm like, yo, dude, you are the worst. But he succeeded in giving Apollo Crews an awesome debut. Apollo Crews definitely connected with the fans. Everybody was into it. Uh, his finisher was top-notch. His wrestling was crisp. Uh, definitely a step in the right direction. Also, William Regal announced the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. 
which is going to be a tag team tournament in honor of the late, great Dusty Rhodes. Uh, you're going to be able to start following that on NXT beginning September 2nd through October 7th. I think we're going to see some interesting tag teams form, and the end game with that tournament is what I'm definitely interested in seeing. All right, so Baron Corbin and Samoa Joe, or as I like to say, Samoa Joe versus Krang. Um, look, Baron Corbin, you look at him, he has all the he has the look of a superstar. Cool tattoos, he's like nine feet fucking tall. It works. His wrestling, abysmal. Abysmal. You would think that a guy that looks like that would put in a little bit more work to tighten up his wrestling. But in terms of giving us a decent brawl match, I think that they succeeded in that capacity. But Samoa Joe did a lot of the work. Did a lot of the work. You know, the match definitely started off a bit slow. It picked up towards the end. They really started working a little bit stiffer as the match progressed. And again, the crowd got into it. Um... And that's what mattered. The crowd wanted to see a brawl. Everybody was into Samoa Joe. You could see the Brooklyn audience connected with him. I mean, Samoa Joe has wrestled House of Glory, Ring of Honor. So the New York area, New York wrestling fans are familiar with his work. Baron Corbin needs he needs more ring time. He needs, honestly, to be put in a tag team. I'm serious. Baron Corbin, as a solo performer at this stage in the game, is just, he needs work like if anything i would have put baron corbin in a tag team with bull dempsey when bull dempsey was being booked as a heel versus doing that really shitty program between them that led to absolutely nothing of any substance so baron corbin needs to be in a tag team at least for six months to a year and then maybe we can revisit a solo run but right now not fucking ready not Anyway, the NXT Women's Championship, Sasha Banks and Bayley, like I said, tremendous match from bell to bell. Um, it's, it's, I can't even put a stamp on it. Uh, I can't even put a, a one-word you know, description for this match because there were so many things that were right. Great storytelling. Um, an amazing amount of chemistry between both ladies. The... Just the risks that they took, Sasha Banks, especially with the over the top rope, the over the top rope dive, Bailey with the reverse Hurricane Rana for the finish. Really, really great moments throughout that match. Plus, of course, the, the breaking of character with the four horsewomen of NXT. Uh, very cool. It was a great feel good moment, like Slick said, a storybook ending. And it worked. Everything worked. Like I said, people were, people that I, that, didn't like women's wrestling or were not fans of Bailey or not fans of Sasha Banks that I know personally told, you know, told me either via Facebook or, you know, in person, they were like, damn, you know, the chicks really tore it down. I was shocked that Bailey was as good as she was. And like I've said numerous times in previous shows, the fact is if you got a good opponent and a good wrestler, you're going to get a memorable match. And I say this because if both people know how to work, you're going to get something good, sometimes even something great. The problem is that we often look at the the easy, you know, the easy way out when it comes to enjoyment. Meaning, are we going to get this big spot? 
that big spot? What what kind of crazy bump are we going to see? This match not only had great wrestling and a fair amount of solid high high you know high spots, but it also had what is missing in so many matches on the Raw roster when it comes to the Divas, and that is chemistry and storytelling. Those of you that re- that said to me, "Damn, you know the Divas are being booed out of the building in Brooklyn." They weren't being booed out of the building. It's just that there was no energy, no chemistry. And I'm going to get into that when we talk about Raw. It was not there. And even on the SummerSlam side, as much as that match was, uh, you know, a coming out party for a team PCB, the fact was there was no chemistry there and the crowd felt it. When you watch Bailey and Sasha Banks wrestle on Saturday night, you were engaged. You were part of that story. And you could see it, the crowd, you know, divided, chanting Sasha Banks, chanting Bailey, this is awesome, you know, just just really invested in the match. And that, my friends, is what I've said before, is lacking in women's wrestling. People aren't booing Charlotte and Nikki Bella in a match. They're booing the fact that they know that Nikki Bella's wrestling fucking sucks. And it just and, and you know, it, it almost feels like Charlotte has to slow it down. Brie Bella, even worse. Nikki Bella, it's crazy to say that she's a better wrestler than Charlotte. And let's not even talk about Alicia Fox's wrestling. The fact is, and I've said this before, that you need good wrestling. It's like having that one kid that you're friends with who's a fucking moron, and when you use big words, he asks you what he asks you what that means, and you have to dumb it down. That's what happens. With, with the current Divas roster on Raw. That's what it is. All the ladies from NXT are coming up, and, all the, and they have to slow their pace and slow their work rate down so that they don't make the Divas that are currently on that roster look like shit. And people are seeing it. There was no better indicator of that than Sasha Banks and Bayley. None. None whatsoever. In any case, like I said, a tremendous match. Now, main event time, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, ladder match. We knew it was going to be good. We knew there were going to be a fair amount of spots. People made mention of the quote-unquote anticlimactic ending. couple of things I got to say. First, Kevin Owens was not fucking winning. Why? Because he is a staple on the main roster. So for him to win the belt in NXT and go back to NXT wasn't fucking happening. We knew that we were going to get the coup de grace, double f- the, the foot stomp off the top of the ladder. That is a no-brainer, and that's how that match needed to end. Now, the other thing, you can't expect Finn Balor and Kevin Owens to go out there and kill each other and give you guys a five-star match and then expect Kevin Owens to go out there and have another five-star match with Cesaro the next night. We got a good match from both guys. Keyword, good. Was it great? That's open for interpretation, but it was good. And, it, and what we ended up getting is exactly what I said. Kevin Owens looked solid. Finn Balor looked good. Owens went on to fight Cesaro on Sunday tear the fucking house down, which I'd expect nothing less. And NXT, the crowd went home happy. Now, 
Of course, I got to say Finn Balor's entrance definitely impresses, as always. Is it Was it his best entrance? Again, up for debate. But I'll tell you what was the high point of that moment. Finn Balor comes out, does all that theatricality. He's super in the zone. Lights go up. Kevin Owens just sitting back, just not impressed, <laughs> not giving a shit. And that's when you knew that we were going to get something special from these guys. Because Kevin Owens, you know, was going to go out there and give us a great match. And Finn Balor was going to try his hardest to not only make the title match look good, but also to impress just the same. And honestly, Finn Balor holding the belt is good. Because Kevin Owens is ready for prime time. Finn Balor, I think, needs to work a bit more in NXT just because there's a, a there's a, a laundry list of challengers. You got Samoa Joe. You have returning Hideo Itami, Sami Zayn. You you have a you have a, a lengthy list of challengers that I think Balor needs to work with before transitioning to the main roster. I know many of you have said, "Yo, Finn Balor needs to make the bump, the jump." up to the main roster, I think that I'd rather leave him in NXT for now so that he can work with all those guys before getting the call-up. Kevin Owens, he's worked with all those guys. Slick said Balor is ready for Raw, but he needs to spend more time in NXT just because just because he just got there. That's That's one way to look at it, but I also feel that Balor, in my opinion, isn't ready for Raw because you know what's going to happen to him? He's going to have... What to happen to him, what happened to Adrian Neville, which is you come up with all this fanfare, everybody's into you, and then you just get stuck in the, you get lost in the mid-card shovel. That's it. That's all, that's it. You know, you get caught, you get lost in the mid-card shuffle, excuse me. Like, look at the Ascension. The Ascension come up, everybody's like, yeah, the Ascension's on the main roster. And then all of a sudden... The Ascension, nobody gives a fuck about them because even though the gimmick worked on NXT and it looked like they were ready, they just didn't transition well to the main roster. They just didn't. The Ascension are a team that had they stayed in NXT a little while longer, they would have probably been better off. I'm serious. I would have brought up the Lucha Dragons and left the Ascension in NXT and everything would have been right in the world. I would have called up the Vaude Villains or Enzo and Kaz to the main roster and still left the Ascension down there. Why? Because their gimmick does not translate well to the main roster. I'm serious. Can any of you guys tell me when you guys gave a shit about the Ascension outside of NXT? Because everybody I've spoken to says to me, yo, when the Ascension were in NXT, it was like, oh shit, these guys are awesome. But when they come come up to the main roster, that magic just isn't there. Now, a um, couple of things. BC says, talking about Corbin in a tag team, Rhino and Baron Corbin versus the Ascension is happening soon. That is correct. I didn't want to give that away because it might be uh, considered spoiler. But um, yes, that is happening. Lucha Lee says, Balor Royal Rumble debut at number 13. People would explode. This is also true. Val adds that the Ascension are garbage, which um, Jimbo Slice just sent me uh, a communique that says bootleg road warriors just suck. Poor Ascension. Nobody loves them. In any case, as I said, NXT, tremendous, tremendous 
card, start to finish. Um, definitely, if you haven't watched it or you didn't get to watch it in its entirety, please do because it is it is just a memorable and enjoyable special event. Not even a pay-per-view, special event. Anyway, let's switch gears. Let's talk about SummerSlam. Now, SummerSlam, everybody said that NXT made SummerSlam look weak by comparison. And it's funny people said that, and I kind of agree, only because the momentum that came from Saturday's card into Sunday's forced SummerSlam and the performers to turn it up a notch. And while some performers did, some matches just definitely fell flat. And the first match, obviously, Randy Orton and Sheamus, I felt was not that good. There was really nothing about that match that screamed, hey, this is a match I want to see. First thing, Sheamus beating Randy Orton accomplished nothing, which, like I said, this was a match that you threw on there to fill four fucking hours. We've seen these guys wrestle in a thousand different capacities in a thousand different matches, and the fact is, it wasn't good. And Slick just sent me a picture of Randy Orton RKOing a shark. Literally RKOing a shark. Thank you, Slick. That's actually going to become my wallpaper on my desk. You officially get the gold star this evening. Anyway, Sheamus and Randy Orton was a completely flat start to a pay-per-view match. Fucking flat. And I'll tell you why. Because the tag team match with the primetime players, Los Matadores... Lucha Dragons and the New Day blew Randy Orton and Sheamus out of the water in terms of match quality. First thing, the New Day, tremendous, super over. Brooklyn was their come out party. Everybody was into it from Kofi skipping to Biggie's gyrating to the fact that they're just going out there and having a blast. The energy in that match was off the charts. You go from what was essentially the flatline match with Sheamus and Orton to action-packed from start to finish. Big bumps, good storytelling, and above all, entertaining as all hell. I'm serious. Super entertaining. And that, my friends, is what you want to tune in for. That was a pay-per-view quality match. And yes, people complained, oh, the New Day won the belts back because the New Day fucking rock (laughs) and that's not me co-signing the new day but that's because the crowd is into them both as heels and as you know anti you know quasi faces seriously slick just said it new day deserves the belts because they're assholes exactly and that's what works and with what happened monday night i can understand why and we're going to get into that in a moment. So, yes, tag team match, tremendous. Dolph Ziggler taking on Rusev again. This was the match that was, uh, again, another filler match. And there's a couple of reasons why I say this. First and foremost, Rusev is at a stage in his in his in-ring career where we need to start looking at other title opportunities. Feuding over your valets is just... It's entertaining, but it's getting old. Both Dolph Ziggler and Rusev are better served competing for a belt. I'm serious. 
<laughs> Rusev needs to take those boots off. He looks terrible. He can't slick because he's been mandated to wrestle in those after he bro- nearly broke his ankle wrestling barefoot. So unfortunately, the boots are here to stay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Jimbo Slice says, if Sheamus wrestled Macho Man's ghost, he would rock us to sleep. He is the pits. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, man. Just Macho Man Randy Savage's ghost wrestling Sheamus, who's just about as pale as a ghost, is just a, a terrible visual. And it's true. I mean, Sheamus has a cool look. Cool look. But fuck is his wrestling god-awful. Holy shit. Anyway. Yeah, Ziggler and, and Rusev. Again, the match, it, it it served its purpose, but the double count-out ending on a fucking pay-per-view? Get the fuck out of here with that. No necessity for that. Double count-out on a pay-per-view between those two guys, especially Rusev, who, who, who chokes guys unconscious? Come on, guys. And, and you know that this is leading to the inevitable mixed tag match on pay-per-view. It's going to happen. I know that Lana's not supposed to get physical because of whatever mysterious health issue she has, but she's been getting physical lately. So the inevitable mix, the mixed tag match, it's, it's there. I see it happening. Maybe not at night of champions, but soon the shit's going to happen. BC says that he'd like to see Rusev versus Samoa Joe. I can co-sign with Slick and say, fuck yeah. Samoa Joe and Rusev would be tremendous. Tremendous. Val, I don't know. There's some documented physical issue that she's not allowed to compete, that she's not allowed to get physical. I don't know if it's been resolved. I don't know if it's been, you know, if it's not as bad as it's been. Let, people have been led to believe, but there's something going on that they don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge what that alleged physical issue is. Some people are saying it's a heart condition. I've heard a, a litany of different things. Um, you know, it's, 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 who knows? At this point, the way I see it, Samoa Joe and Rusev, I, I could accept that. I could accept that. Rusev and fucking Dolph Ziggler, it's like a hipster versus the deli clerk. That's what that is. That, that that's the, the 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 hipster deli clerk match happening at a souprette or deli near you because that's what it is. That, it, it, seriously, Rusev feuding with Ziggler over a woman who he's not involved with is completely fucking stupid. Like you moved on, you're you're with the bird. Why are you feuding with a guy over a piece that you're not even touching? Like, does that make any sense? Like, oh, I got this better looking broad. Okay. Better looking broad. Move on. <laughs> Just makes no sense. That's all I'm saying. All right. So Stephen Amell and Adrian Neville, of course, took on Stardust and Cosmic King Barrett. And um, the thing that gets me about this match is that first thing, they raised $400,000 for charity, which I'm going to get into first. Second of all, Stephen Amell was pretty good in his fucking match. Pretty good. Again, 
I'm sure that the that the Warner Brothers executives were shitting in their pants when he went to the top rope. But he served his purpose in that match. The real star of that match was Neville. This was the whole intention of this match was the green arrow and the red arrow. And the red arrow was showcased from start to finish. We knew that Stardust was going to lose. Evil was going to lose. Good was going to triumph. You could see it coming a mile away. But WWE succeeded in three different facets. First facet they succeeded in was more mainstream exposure. More mainstream exposure. Because that, that you know, their work with Stephen Amell was everywhere. Facebook, um, you know, Variety, all these different... You know, all these different media outlets that wouldn't touch professional wrestling were reporting this, number one. Number two, doing something for charity always tops in my book, especially because when the charity event started, they were only doing a proceed of the shirts that were sold from the match. Then 100% of the proceeds went to the hospice for children. I got no issue with that. And we've seen worse people in the ring than Stephen Amell. All I got to tell you guys is Snooky, Snooky wrestling at WrestleMania, not even at some bullshit pay-per-view, but WrestleMania with John Morrison and Trish Stratus, if I remember correctly. That's all I'm saying. Snooky was in a match. Stephen Amell, he went in there. He was the face in peril. He gave us a big spot. Everybody cheered. See you later. Bye. That's it. Was I expecting an instant classic? No. But when the fuck have we ever had an instant classic when celebrities are involved? The only celebrity, the only match with celebrity involvement that I thought was awesome, aside from this that I enjoyed, was Mr. T and Roddy Piper. <laughs> I'm serious. Please let me know a match that involved a celebrity at any point that was good. Not Dennis Rodman in the fucking NWO. Not Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone or Jay Leno or David Arquette or Snooki. Shall I, shall I go on? <laughs> you know, like people, they say to me, yeah, man, you know, but they're, they're, they're celebrities and blah, blah, blah. Wrestling is entertainment. Crossover is important. Get the fuck over it. And again... for charity. All of it. All the money went to charity. So, again, you can't can't knock that. But I'll say this. Stephen Amell definitely needs to learn how to take better bumps. I don't know how much time he had to get ready, but his bumps need work. That's for sure. I've taken bumps at House of Glory, learned how to take a few bumps. Shit's not easy, so I'm not knocking him. But, dude, definitely take better bumps so you don't hurt yourself. Because there was a moment in that match where he took a kick and he just fell like a tree. Like, like I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> definitely not the move. You know, the top rope splash onto Barrett and Stardust was cool, like I said, to send the crowd home happy. <laughs> Slick says, one great thing about that match, that kick to the chest could be his finishing movie. Fuck Stardust up. Yeah, that was that was actually a really well-placed kick, and Stardust sold it like a champion. Anybody that doesn't think that Cody Rhodes is not a talented wrestler needs to watch more wrestling. 
Because Cody Rhodes definitely carried the shit out of that match. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Um, the triple threat match between Big Show, Ryback, and The Miz was... Uh, uh, You guys get it. (laughs) You guys get it. I'll tell you why. That match, here's the problem. Ryback is a good champion, and I've said this before. The only way you're going to take a decent wrestler and make him better is by putting him in there with better opponents. The Big Show is not that guy. The Miz is not that guy. And I felt bad for Ryback because he has to go out there and work this match with these two guys. And, you know, it was a five-minute match, whatever. It wasn't It wasn't killing anybody. But the fact is that the only way that you can make Ryback better is by letting him work with better wrestlers. Period. That's like what I said with Samoa Joe and Baron Corbin. The the Even though Samoa Joe won that match, Baron Corbin learned something. Because he worked with a better performer. Ryback learned zero in this match. Nothing. Nothing. If I have to sit through this match, I, I, I just couldn't. I could never sit through another triple threat with three with these three guys. Can't. Can't do it. Can't. Terrible. Fucking terrible. Anyway. Let's just move right along. Uh, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose... Taking on Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper. I, I really thought we were going to get an Ambrose heel turn. I thought it was, it, was, it was there. It was there. I felt it. And then it was like, oh, look. Clean pin. All right. Nice work. Match was good. It was a decent brawl. Uh, really good chemistry between the Wyatts and Shield 2.0. Um, definitely has the potential to be a great long-term feud. We'll get into what happens on Monday in a few minutes, but I understand why they did what they did, and the payoff obviously came Monday, but you got to throw some gold into the mix. You have to make them feud for some gold down the road because just feuding for no reason whatsoever while it's okay is going to lose its appeal real quick. Now, by adding what they did on Monday, which I'll get into, The feud has been elevated to a different level. But how long can that last remains to be seen. The winner-take-all match between John Cena and Seth Rollins was a classic for both performers. And I'll say this for a few reasons. Number one, we can hate on John Cena all we want as a wrestler. But the guy turns it up a notch when it comes to big matches. Number one. Number two... His work outside of the ring is phenomenal. When no, there's no comparison. Guy is the only guy to, uh, to fulfill 500 wishes for Make-A-Wish. Tremendous accomplishment. The ending with Jon Stewart... <sighs> I understood the logic when they addressed it on Monday, but at first glance, me personally, I'm not a fan of interference roll-up finishes on pay-per-view. I'm not a fan of, you know, roll-ups, count-outs, uh, interference by, by, you know, fuckers that don't need to be in the match. 
not a fan. So when John Stewart got involved, I said even before he hit John Cena with the chair, I said John Stewart with the turn. Jimbo Slice is my witness for that. I said John Stewart is turning. Three, two, there it is. You know? And the thing that bothered me is just the fact that, and Slick mentions it as well, I'd like Rollins to win clean once. Because, again, you go through great lengths to make this guy the future of the company. And, again, the underhanded heel tactics, I understand. But let the motherfucker win clean once in a while. Especially in that match. We saw the Phoenix Splash. We saw him give Cena the attitude adjustment with the roll and the pickup. Let the fucking guy win clean. Holy shit. Like I said, I understand he's a conniving heel piece of shit. But come on, the guy broke out his best White Ranger costume for this match. Could you let the motherfucker win clean? Let him him win clean. Come on. Fuck. I mean, like I said, the Jon Stewart thing, looking at it from Sunday to Monday, I liked where it went. But at first glance, when you watched it, you're like, oh, come on. And that's exactly what that's exactly how it was. The match itself, excluding the interference, was an instant classic. Instant classic. Really was. Tremendous outing by both guys. Anybody who doesn't respect Cena's ability, you gotta give it to him now. The dude really he turned it up to another level on, on Sunday. Definitely did. That's all I'm saying. But um Three-team elimination match. Team Bella, Team Bad, Team PCB. As I said before, lumping these women into groups has been a gift and a curse. A curse because we see the same fucking matches (laughs) all the time. That is the curse. The gift is that we only have to deal with Nikki Bella being champion until she breaks AJ's record. Because after that, after she breaks it, she is going to fucking lose. That's it. Nikki Bella's holding on to the belt to break AJ's record. That's it. After that's all said and done, the belt's being dropped to somebody. Whether it's Sasha Banks or Charlotte remains to be seen. But either one of those two ladies will definitely be winning the belt. That's it. Simple as that. Putting these women in these factions has, like I said, been a gift and a curse. It's a gift because it gets them out there on a consistent basis. A curse because, like I said, utilizing them in the same matches week in and week out is wearing thin. Why? Because, like I said, it's a different caliber of wrestling. Sasha Banks is a better wrestler than Tamina and Naomi. Fact. Charlotte and, well, let me rephrase that. Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and Paige are better wrestlers together than the Bellas. But I do feel Becky Lynch is a better wrestler than Paige. And Paige, to a degree, is a better wrestler than Charlotte. Gotta say it. As for the match itself, the rules just felt fucking thrown together The match itself wasn't that bad. It was good. The crowd was kind of into it. But again, 
you're you're recovering from an instant classic from Sasha and Bailey, and you're doing this divas match that serves no other purpose than to quote unquote push the divas revolution. Eh. You know, take it or leave it. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, switching gears, Kevin Owens and Cesaro, if you look at the card as a whole, was essentially your co-main event of the evening. It's crazy that Kevin Owens and Cesaro went into Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. It's insane, but it was an amazing match. The crowd kind of lost it. I think that was just because they, they'd been in, you know, bell to bell with all the matches but the work that these guys put in from the springboard psycho crusher elbow from cesaro to all the amazing spots that they did between the two of them it was a tremendous match but i also felt that they were set up for disaster because they had to follow the lackluster divas match and also take us into brock lesnar and the undertaker but overall the chemistry between these guys can't be ignored Hopefully, they'll be competing for a title sooner rather than later. All right. The main event, Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. A lot of crazy storytelling in this match. Um, Brock Lesnar attacking The Undertaker before the bell was was good. I like that. It was, it was out of character. A lot of great spots. We saw The Undertaker's old school spot. We saw The Last Ride. A couple of different F5s. A really, really crazy moment where Brock Lesnar's sitting there laughing at The Undertaker as he sits up and laughs at him as well. It was it was tremendous. Now, the ending was interesting because a lot of people were angry at the ending. I saw the ending and I said to myself, you know what? I understand why they did it because it, it opens up the possibility for the rubber match. But the real thing about that match that got me with the ending was... That it kept both guys strong. I'll tell you why. Because Brock Lesnar didn't tap out to the Hell's Gate. He used the patented Stone Cold Steve Austin middle finger to The Undertaker. And he'd rather pass out than submit. It's number one. Number two, it also kept The Undertaker strong. Because even though he may have tapped out, it's always open to interpretation that you know, the, who who actually was the deciding factor in that match. The fact is that The Undertaker getting the, the win, you know, you may have won the battle, but you haven't won the war. We're obviously going to get a third match. That's where this is going. Whether the third match happens at Survivor Series or they hold out till Mania is, is something I'm going to be watching very closely. But I'll say this. The Undertaker, every time he finishes these matches with Lesnar and he collapses, whether it's a work or a shoot, I mean, whether it's a work or it's an angle, the fact is that at the end of the day, The Undertaker is is really, 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 really in need of retirement. I hate the fact that people say that, yeah, you know, wrestlers can decide when they want to retire. No. No, we are at a stage in the game where the Undertaker needs to be able to walk around and wipe his own ass going out there and trying to have these these bloodbath, you know, super ultra violent matches with Brock Lesnar. Not a step in the right direction. You're not doing your career any favors. (laughs) Like Slick said, their bodies decide. It's like it's like, dude, you you're 
you went out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a good brawl that catered to each of their strengths. But if The Undertaker needs six months to recover before getting in the ring or a year to recover before he gets in the ring, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense at this point. It doesn't. Like I said, I understand there's the long-term storyline potential, but once it's all said and done, and even if they had a third match, Brock Lesnar needs to win that third match. Slick says, Undertaker's carcass is like my body's not ready. It's true. I mean, the Undertaker came out. He looked in good shape. He had a good match. He delivered all his spots. But matches with Brock Lesnar, it's not a walk in the park. It's not not that they don't work safe because they're pretty safe. But you're a, you're almost 60 years old. Taking German suplexes on the regular is not going to be good for anyone. It's not. I'm serious. It is not going to be good for anyone. Don't do it to yourself. Don't. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I'm serious. Definitely not the move. Anyway, with that said, SummerSlam was a good special event, not even a pay-per-view at this point, like I said. And while it had to compete against NXT, I think that they're, they fall into two different categories. And I say this because in terms of pure wrestling, NXT leaps and bounds ahead of SummerSlam. But from an entertainment standpoint, SummerSlam had a, a good amount of entertaining matches. Entertaining in the sense that they may not have been instant classics, but they yielded great reactions. Whether it's the New Day silliness or Brock Lesnar killing The Undertaker or Seth Rollins going for the Phoenix Splash or whatever the case may be, it had its fair share of those moments. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's switch gears, jump into Raw, and then let's head into the finish. So, of course, if you guys remember before SummerSlam, Seth Rollins was promised a statue. A statue, you know? Before, um, if he beats John Cena, we're going to get into that. But um, the real high point of Raw for me was that opening Paul Heyman promo. And the reason I say this is because, again, Paul Heyman makes it a point to remind us that he is one of the best talkers in the game. Paul Heyman can sell ice to a fucking Eskimo on a summer day. This is what this is what he does. He is a salesman. He he crushes it. He crushes it. Sure, you can talk about James Mitchell, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Classy Freddie Blassie, um, Sonny Ono, Mr. Fuji. Uh, we could run down a list of of incredible managers, but Paul Heyman is in a fucking class by him. Self. The guy goes out there and and sells you. Sells you. Brock Lesnar doesn't even need to fucking speak. And then on top of that, the interruption by Bo Dallas and Bo Dallas being murder death killed by Brock Lesnar made that segment one of the high points of the evening. Of course, with Brock Lesnar participating in the special event um, October 3rd, Rumors are that Bo Dallas will be his opponent. Given what happened Monday, we know that Bo Dallas is a dead man. So, Bo Dallas, before you go into that match, October 3rd against Brock Lesnar, 
please make sure to make out your will and testament and leave everything to Bray Wyatt. Just not those stupid white diaper trunks that you wear every week. That's all I'm saying. Because, dude, you're going to get dumped on your fucking dome from bell to bell. (laughs) That's the only way to describe it. Anyway. Lucha Dragons and the New Day was our first match of the evening. But all I got to say is Xavier Woods coming out with a fucking trombone playing New York, New York. And Big E calling Brooklyn booty. It was it was tremendous. It was so stupid and so over the top, but so funny that that you just you got to watch it. You have to watch it for yourselves to fully appreciate the, lo- the, the lunacy and mayhem in that entire exchange. On top of the fact that the Lucha Dragons had a pretty solid match, New Day is celebrating, and then all of a sudden, Pyro, Insanity, and a fucking pop of the likes you haven't seen in quite some time as the Dudley boys made their return to WWE. And of course, when the Dudley boys are present, you can expect two things. Well, three. Devon screaming testify, a headbutt to somebody's ball bag, and somebody eating a 3D. Whether through a table or not through a table, it's viewer's choice, ladies and gentlemen. And we got that. The pop was tremendous. The announced team, from what people are saying, didn't even know that the Dudleys were coming back, which explains the genuine excitement from everybody when it happened. And on top of that, headbutt to to New Day in the fucking nuts and Xavier Woods going through a fucking table. What a return for the Dudley boys to WWE television. It opens up the tag team division. I talked about this a few months back. When Bubba had come back by himself, I said, you need the Dudley boys to spice that, to spice up that tag team division because it's kind of stagnant. And I swear it's like they listen to what the fuck I'm saying because here they are, which is great because like I said, you get the Dudleys and the New Day. Maybe the Dudleys win the belt. Maybe they don't. Then Dudleys, PTP, Lucha Dragons, uh, The Ascension, just a a litany of tag teams to go through tables and eat 3ds and above all i guarantee this is the dudley boy swan song they'll probably go into the hall of fame and it's a good way to end a a very very stellar in ring career but holy shit what a pop what a mark out moment for yours truly because i genuinely did mark them i marked the fuck i was like oh shit it was it was it was awesome. It was definitely an awesome awesome moment. Uh, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose took on Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. The match was pretty much a repeat of Sunday, and many of us were like, "Hey, what the fuck happened?" And then all of a sudden, lights go out, and a new guy in a black sheet mask comes in and pretty much decimates Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. Now, for those of you that are curious as to who this is, uh, he is. Braun Strowman. Now, Braun Strowman has been active in non-televised matches. He is a strongman, a uh, strongman competitor. You can look him up. Google is your friend. And he is a he is a huge motherfucker. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, he does look like um, the fat kid from Game of Thrones. He does. Uh, what the hell was his name? Fuck. Oh, damn. His name escapes me. But he did look like the fat kid from Game of Thrones. In any case, aside from that, 
definitely an intimidating presence. You know, choking out Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose was cool. And where the Wyatt family goes from here remains to be seen. But I I definitely think that the Wyatts with this brand new addition are going to be a force, not only for WWE programming as a whole, but the tag team. Sam, thank you. Thank you, Lucha Lee. Uh, Braun Strowman is Sam in the offseason of Game of Thrones. Dude hit the hit the weights, maybe did a cycle or two, then he comes in looking like the fucking mountain. Uh, tremendous, tremendous presence from that guy. Whether he can wrestle or not remains to be seen, but what a massive human being. Dude, dude was bigger than Luke Harper, and Luke Harper's a big dude. Holy shit. But um, interesting, interesting turn of events for the Wyatt family. Where they go is, you know, it remains to be seen. Like I said, making the Wyatts such a dominant faction opens up a wealth of possibilities because these are guys that are in it for destruction and chaos. So they could disrupt tag team matches, world title matches. They could feud with the authority if they wanted to because they have no real agenda. And that's a gift and a curse because if you want to put gold on them, it's... You could put gold on them for the sake of them trying to just take the belts to, you know, to covet them. But guys that are there for the sake of destruction make for for very, very interesting storytellers. You know, the way I see it, having having him out there. Yeah, I mean, the anyone but you thing. I understand slick. But what I'm talking about is that that's his his focus right now. But I'm just talking about that the Wyatt family, they're all about destruction and chaos. Yes, Roman Reigns is their their focus right now. But if they decided that they didn't want the authority and power and they were just going to disrupt them every week, nobody should be shocked about it because these guys are fucking crazy. Like, that's the way that's the way they're being written. You know, antiheroes, crazy dudes, no allegiances. And that works. It does work. But... You have to tread cautiously because, like I said, when you create crazy polarizing figures to make them want to be champions in some capacity, you got to create a very, very good narrative to accomplish that. And that, my friends, is where I'm I'm really, really interested in seeing how the Wyatt's story progresses. There's also a rumor floating around that we may see the debut of Sister Abigail as well. Even though they've said Sister Abigail is dead, there's been rumors floating around for a long time that Sister Abigail may actually be a wrestler in, in, in some capacity at some point. If that happens or not, that remains to be seen. All right, so we get a Miz TV segment with Team PCB, and fuck, was it bad. It was terrible. First of all, the, the chemistry with The Miz, not there. Becky Lynch's mic work, not that good. Sasha Banks probably had the best exchange with The Miz. I mean, Sasha Banks. Um, Charlotte had the exchange, a good exchange with The Miz, as did Paige. But the crowd was chanting Sasha Banks because they, could, they didn't really feel that this segment accomplished anything. And again, we get a Team Bella, Team PCB match. Again. And the crowd let them know about themselves again. And of course, the Divas took to social media and complained about the crowd's response. But it's like when you're essentially recycling the same match 
without three of the competitors from the night before, and the fact is that the match quality is not that good, people are going to get annoyed. On top of the fact that the, the, the segment with The Miz was just terrible. It was a shitty segment. Shitty from start to finish. That's all I got to say. We, um, of course, we get the Jon Stewart explanation. Oh, I didn't want John Cena to break, Rick Flair, to tie Ric Flair's record, blah, blah, blah. Ric Flair's the greatest. Jon Stewart ate an attitude adjustment for his troubles. And, of course, John Cena was incredibly pissed off. I mean, it was good to see Ric Flair there. In a way, I felt that Flair's appearance and the kudos that were thrust upon him were a nice way to kind of kick dirt on Hulk Hogan, but um, I'm curious to see where Cena goes from here, especially with how Raw ended this past Monday. Nonetheless, uh, Jon Stewart ate an attitude adjustment for his troubles. It is what it is. We got a multi-man tag team match with Ziggler, Cesaro, Ryback, and Orton taking on the big show, Kevin Owens, Sheamus, and Rusev. Again, essentially SummerSlam rematches abounds. The high point of it was uh, Big Show costing his team the match and Orton having a an awesome RKO delivered courtesy of Ryback and Cesaro who collectively gorilla pressed the Big Show into the RKO. It wasn't a stellar spot, but it was pretty fucking cool the way it went down. And of course, does this mean another Big Show face turn? I'll tell you this much. Nobody will give a shit either way with the big show. That's all I'm saying. No one's going to care. No one. Anyway, close things out for the end of the night on Raw. Seth Rollins was going to be presented with his statue. The curtain is pulled off. The the cover is, is revealed. And inside there is no statue. Instead, the man called Sting, who proceeds to whoop Seth Rollins ass now of course based on this ass whooping we now know that a night of champions Sting will face Seth Rollins I'm not totally enthused about this match but I understand its purpose if Seth Rollins beats Sting it's another notch in his cap especially if he beats him clean take notes creative or you want to put the belt on Sting briefly briefly to kind of just have that added to his resume so that he can then go into the Hall of Fame, which is a small possibility. But I'll say this. If anybody can carry Sting to a decent match, it's Seth Rollins. Rollins is definitely um, a ring general with certain opponents, and I think he's going to make Sting look good. Now, again, the upside to Sting winning is very, very small in my opinion, but the upside to to Rollins beating Sting clean is good overall for Seth Rollins. Will that happen? Who the fuck knows? But we now know that Seth Rollins will be facing Sting at Night of Champions. All right. With that, we're going to switch gears and jump into the wrestling news of the week. Uh, First up, I want to extend congratulations and a huge shout-out to the crew of House of Glory, uh, owners Brian Excel and Amazing Red put on a match this past Friday right before NXT that saw Amazing Red square off against Rey Mysterio in a solid, solid match. It also saw 
uh, Smiley dethroning Brian XL and becoming the new House of Glory champion. Uh, overall, a great event, an awesome crowd. They pretty much had an attendance record, which I've heard is about there were a thousand people in house with uh, over 900 paid tickets in that card. Um, again, props to the crew at House of Glory. Props to Brian XL and Amazing Red for putting together great matches. If you are in the Queens area or even in the Brooklyn area, definitely give House of Glory a shot. Those guys put on great matches. It's an awesome environment, super energetic from bell to bell, and I can definitely co-sign it, not just because Amazing Red is a friend of the show and I know him personally, but because they try to give the fans great shows every time they put them out there. So give them a shot. Check them out. I'll make sure to put links to House of Glory in the show notes, and you guys can check it out. Interesting rumor that came out. Uh, a couple of different websites are reporting it, including WrestleZone, that said that originally Charlotte was supposed to win the Divas title from Nikki Bella during her debut, but that John Cena allegedly put the kibosh on that because he felt that Nikki Bella should break AJ Lee's record. And because of that, Vince McMahon agreed, and Mickey and Nikki Bella is currently champion. Now, again, take this rumor with a grain of salt, but to a, to a degree, I wouldn't be shocked if this was the case. But, again, the payoff is still going to be there because if Nikki Bella breaks the record, I wouldn't be shocked as, if, if shortly thereafter she loses the belt anyway. So if the rumor's true, sucks, but it's part of the business. What can you expect? I also want to talk about, and this is uh, something that I'm going to talk about briefly before we wrap things up. Uh, the Tough Enough finale happened this past Tuesday. Uh, of course, the finalists were Josh, Sara Lee, Zizi, and Amanda. Now, I had originally picked Mata and uh, Gigi as my, my, my two candidates that were going to win the show. Of course, I was uh, disappointed when Mata got eliminated. I thought Tanner was a heavy favorite to win the show. Again, disappointed. I also had high hopes for Patrick. Again, disappointed. But um, nonetheless, the finale saw Josh and Sarah Lee win the contest. Uh, they get the $250,000 contracts. Couple of things. The interactions of, of, of the people voting were were to be expected. People kept ZZ in it. And I understand that ZZ is, you know, he became one of those guys that people kind of thought was a shoe-in because he had great character, etc., etc., etc. But... ZZ, in my opinion, should have been eliminated very, very early. I mean, the guy has passion. He connects with the audience. It's cool that he's a Gator wrestler, but you need you need more than being a Gator wrestler and having people think that you're cool to get over. Does this mean that we will see ZZ in the WWE at some point? You never know. But I'll say this. If ZZ were to work on his craft become a decent wrestler. I wouldn't mind seeing ZZ as part of the Wyatt family because the guy fits that dynamic. But as of right now, his conditioning and his ring presence need work. His match with Cesaro was decent. It had, it had its fair share of botches, but it was not terrible. Josh, on the other hand, is the guy that, that embodies what WWE is looking for. 
He's a big guy. He looks the part. He's he's charismatic, but above all else, he looks the part. He can probably go out there and he can probably go into NXT and be ready to go in six to eight months with with an intensive work regimen only because he has that look that works. Now, for the ladies, we everybody knows that Amanda, everybody felt was going to win because she had the look. And when I mean the look, you know, that that Nikki Bella, Trish Stratus, really, you know, diva, really, really easy diva look that can come and go at a moment's notice. But I think that what happened was that her, you know, her her views on Sarah Lee and some of the disparaging comments that she had made about Sarah Lee leading up to the finale, I think were part of the reason that she got bit in the ass. The other thing I do have to say is that in terms of match presence, Triple H came out and he said it. You know, you may look the part, you may you may be what we're looking for, but connecting with the fans, having that intangible, that it factor is sometimes more important than just looking the part. And I mean, the Triple H endorsement during the Tough Enough finale was was an, a necessity because I'm sure a lot of people are like, damn, you know, Sarah Lee, even though, why'd, why'd she win and the other one didn't? I'll tell you this. If we've learned anything from Tough Enough and WWE in general is that those that are worthy of being at least in NXT for a brief time are going to get an opportunity. Yes, it's not a five-figure or a six-figure opportunity, but they will get an opportunity. We haven't seen the last the last of Patrick. We definitely haven't seen the last of Mata. We haven't seen the last of Tanner because, again, these are individuals that they had something. It just wasn't enough to get them a six-figure contract. But that doesn't mean we may never hear from them. That's all I'm saying. As for ZZ, had ZZ won the contest... I would have probably been bummed out only because he he was he's going to be the winner based on only the fans. Every judge had issues with either his conditioning, his work ethic, excuse me, etc. And the fact that he didn't win shows that the right man definitely won. For the ladies, I mean Sarah Lee, I understand why she won. She uh she had 64% of the vote. Um but I'll say this Amanda, Gigi, definitely two perform two ladies that I wouldn't be shocked make their way into WWE in some capacity down the road. Tough enough, while it wasn't my cup of tea and there were a lot of things I didn't like, it's it's a necessary evil in an era of reality te- television and just making WWE programming work. I understand it. Um, like I said, I wasn't a fan of it. I didn't enjoy it. For, you know, because you only had an hour to to really try and connect with these individuals and then you had to vote them in based on just an hour's worth of programming. And the problem with that is between editing and everything else, you're not you're not getting the complete picture like ZZ. When I first saw him and he didn't win the first challenge, and they were pushing him and pushing him. Like I said, I'm like, yo, this guy, maybe by week three, he's out of here. And the fact that the guy got to the end strictly on the fans alone is crazy. I mean, Jimbo Slice said he's a fat, lazy fuck. The thing, the thing that got me was over the course of the, of the, of the series, you saw the bodies of certain wrestlers, you know, certain members of the cast just start to take, to start to transform 
into superstars. You saw it. But ZZ looked the same at the start of the show and at the end of the show. Like, you know, you start it, you start, it's like when you go into basic training in the military, you go in, they, they take, you know, they could, they take cookie dough and make it into granite. That's how it goes. You start basic training. By the time you leave and you're a soldier, you look the part. ZZ did not look the part. For a guy that, that was in there from start to finish, he did not look the part. And even if he would have looked, you know, like Samoa Joe or Kevin Owens, and at least improved in his wrestling and his conditioning, then, eh. But I saw nothing. I saw nothing. In the few episodes of Tough Enough that I saw, I didn't see any transformation. I didn't see any gains or any improvements. I just saw a guy that continued to ride the wave of fan voting and did nothing on his own to improve his, his, you know, his overall look. He did nothing. He did nothing. Josh, you could see he's a big dude. He keeps himself in decent shape. And you saw as the series progressed, he started to really take shape as a superstar should. That's, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, with that said, I've given you my take on this week's MMA and wrestling. As always, give me yours. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. Hit us up on Twitter at my take radio at rage underscore works. And of course, look for us, uh, look for me on Instagram, RageWorks underscore rich. We put lots of RageWorks content there and tons of other stuff. Of course, you can also find us on Google Plus, Pinterest, and pretty much every social media outlet out there. As for the shows, archived versions of the shows are available within 24 to 48 hours of airing. So now that we've wrapped tonight's show, you should expect it on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio by no later than Friday, late early Saturday morning, but usually Friday night, most shows go up. Video archives of the show are available on two YouTube channels, Official Rageworks and My Take Radio TV. Feel free to subscribe to either one of those. Of course, My Take Radio TV gives you all the episodes, and of course, Rageworks, Official Rageworks, gives you not only episodes of MTR, but tons of other content as as well. But last but not least, get all our my Take Radio content with the official My Take Radio app available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices gives you 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpaper, and tons of other programming as well that is available to app owners before the general public. So with that said, that is going to wrap up the MMA and wrestling edition of MTR. Join us Later today, now that it's Thursday, at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, for our gaming and entertainment edition. So, on behalf of myself, Slick, Jimbo Slice, the rest of the MTR and Rageworks team, I will catch you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. I am out of here. Peace. Rich, <laughs>